Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. So greetings from the Gulf Coast of Florida. We're up here in the Florida Panhandle, uh, just a little bit uh, east of uh, Pensacola, Florida, the home of the Blue Angels here on, on, uh, in, in Milton and on the banks of the Blackwater River, which is a really interesting place. Uh, it's kind of a big river. You know, I didn't know it was here until I got here. It's kind of interesting. Um, today, today, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Today is going to be very variable. And so one of the problems, one of the advantages of having big interviews uh, is that uh, I, I love being able to talk to people that I would never get a chance to talk to if I wasn't in radio. Uh, this week, that was Brandon Strzok. Uh, I, I guess it's he it's spelled Straka, S-T-R-A-K-A, but it's actually pronounced Strzok, according to him, and it's his name, so I'm going, I'm going with that. Um, but the problem is, you know, that when I get people like that, it pretty much takes all my attention, uh, all my, my resources, my mental capacity, my time, my, my you know, I, I get way too many questions, and I, it, it sort of dominates things. And so a couple of things just slip by the wayside. And so one of them is, is CJ's wellness report. And, and CJ, uh, I'm not sure if she's going to be able to make it. She's been traveling and doing stuff. And so she's been busy. Uh, and I had two folks that I talked to uh, recently off the air, um, which, uh, you know, I forgot to remind yesterday to join us today, even though it's on my calendar. So it's a good thing I keep a calendar. It's the only way I, I keep any of this stuff straight. So today's calendar is kind of busy. But if nobody else shows up, then I got three hours and I don't know quite, you know, what to do with all of it. Although, do, although I do have a lot of um, website material uh, to go over. There's a ton of news. There's, there's things that, you know, nobody else is covering, uh, which is normal for us. Um, I got a couple of Zooms tonight, which is going to be interesting Zoom meetings. Um, and so we'll be uh, taking care of those. Uh, we had a fabulous guest yesterday, too, for over two hours. That's unusual. It's happened before. It happened with Roger Roots, uh, who was here talking about Western States. He was here a couple of hours. Loy Brunson was here for over two hours. And yesterday, uh, Chris, let me see if I can get his name right here, uh, Chris Jersky. Uh, so that's K-R-I-S-J-U-R-S-K-I. And he was nice enough to stick around for a while. And it's interesting because, you know, Diane uh, Warner, was, it was her report. She had questions. You know, I had questions. Uh, we all had questions. Um, and so it was interesting. So it was a good thing he had two hours because basically Diane and I needed an hour each. <laughs> that's sort of the way it worked out. So it, that's what's kept us going. That's what kept me going certainly this week. It's been very busy. Um, What's interesting that's coming out now is uh, the whole idea of Ron DeSantis. Uh, I thought from the beginning this was a made-up candidacy. I thought this was, this was a rhino globalist draft effort um, to either to, to uh, you know, have a division in the Republican Party and get rid of Trump, or it was staged. It was staged by uh, Trump and DeSantis you know, in the back rooms, you know, in the smoke-filled rooms. You know, Trump says, hey, Ron, you know, let's, uh, let's have some fun with the election here. You know, why don't you try running against me? And of course, he'll lose. <laughs> Everybody knows he's going to lose. Um, and, uh, but I don't see Ron doing things that somebody who would run would run would do. You know, he hasn't been in New Hampshire. He hasn't declared for, you know, um, he hasn't been, he went to Iowa on a day that Trump wasn't there. That's the point of that. You know, you want to go when Trump is there. Uh, and he's not doing anything that looks like he's running for president. So he's either going to get he's either trying to be coy and show that he's really serving the people of Florida or 
he's uh, just not running for president, which I think is entirely possible. It gets more interesting when you think about what Dick Morris has been saying lately, that the Republican Party, there's, there's, there's two parts of the Republican Party. Um, there is Trump's part, which is, you know, most of it, <laughs> like 80, 90 percent of it. Uh, those are America first, loyal Americans, patriots, conservatives, uh, Christians, um, Jews, anybody that, uh, you know, believes in religion, believes in freedom, believes in God, believes in country, believes in family, you know, working class people, you know, rich people, middle class, poor class is <laughs> it, all there. So Trump's got all their, you know, the, the pretty much the Republican base. Um, uh, supports Trump because Trump loves America. America loves Trump. It's, it's a great arrangement, great relationship, actually. Uh, he's about the only person that openly, you know, does that. Uh, but the, the other advantage of Trump, of course, is that uh, he's rich enough you can't bribe him. He doesn't need donors. Well, Ron DeSantis isn't that rich. Ron DeSantis does need donors. And when you have donors, you have conditions. And the conditions are you will support the war in Ukraine. You will, uh, you know, perpetuate COVID as long as possible to make uh, big pharma, big tech, big, uh, you know, big government health and everybody else rich. Uh, it doesn't matter how many people die. That's, that's not really the point here. You know, you will support open borders and all this other kind of stuff. Now, I don't know which of those are on DeSantis supports or not. Well, we'll investigate that further. But the point is. The point of all this is that he's, you know, uh, it, it doesn't look right. <laughs> There's something very wrong with what's going on. And so, of course, I'm curious. And you know me. It's not what's reported that's important. It's what's not reported. And so what's not being reported is really any in-depth study. I mean, uh, the, the, we know the rhinos want Ron DeSantis because they can't stand Trump. But the problem is that they're the, they're the minority of the Republican Party, and they can't stand Trump because they want – they're selfish. Anybody that hates Trump, you know, is pretty much selfish. They want something for themselves. They want either government money, they want government handouts, they want government power, they want something from government that Trump's not going to give them. Uh, continued business dealings, you know, continued. Well, look at the the uh, the you know the Brandon idiocracy. Everything they do is designed to give the government more power and take away more freedom. That's it. So you know, it's an Obama, uh, Hillary Clinton, you know, who else, whoever else is there in the cabal. Uh, uh, the, the, the communist takeover. Um, well, it's sort of like a Marxist Muslim takeover is what, it, is what it is. So Hillary would represent the Marxist end of it, and then Obama would represent the Muslim end of it. And they've kind of divided up the world. And I've said this before on the show. They've divided uh, the, the, the United States into domestic policy. That would be Hillary Clinton. That's where you have um, uh, Merrick Garland at the FBI as you know, head of the KGB internal security force who's terrorizing people, breaking their doors down, you know, stealing their stuff, taking their computers, hauling them off to jail, uh, making them confess to misdemeanor crimes, saying if you don't confess to this little crime, we're going to charge you with a really big one. And of course, the correct thing to do is say, okay, fine, charge me with a big one. I'll, I'll see you in court. But uh, the biggest problem, and this is one of the, something that I do not understand, uh, are the states that have not taken their citizens back from the D.C. gulag. See, D.C. is not a state. D.C. is a government town. I wrote an article called The Nation of Government. D.C. is not a place where anybody should ever be tried for anything, really. I mean, people shouldn't even live there. It's a, it's a government enclave. And because it's a government enclave, because they are dependent on government money, there's an inherent conflict of interest that nobody could get a fair, fair trial in D.C., especially when, uh, when they're saying that these people caused an insurrection against the government. Now, what they're really saying is they, they, these people caused an insurrection against your, your paycheck, your health benefits, and your retirement. Well, that's how they look at it. Okay, that's why people work in D.C. That's why people work for the federal government. They don't work there to do a good job, most of them. Well, some do, rare. Uh, but for the most part, they, they do it because they want lots of benefits, lots of pay, uh, and lots of retirement. You know, it's a government job. You don't have to show up and do stuff. Look at Pete Buttigieg, uniquely unqualified for anything, except that he married a dude. 
and uh, he's now running transportation, sort of. <laughs> you know, you look at the the entire uh, replacement of the government with with black women. There's nothing wrong with black women, but there is but there is something wrong when you take unqualified black women and put in positions that they have no business being in. Jean Pierre, at um, you know the the press secretary, uh, Judge Jackson, you know on the Supreme Court, you know, and I'm sure there are plenty of qualified black women who'd be great at that position, but the people they're appointing aren't. You know, aren't those black women <laughs> contributing to the idiocracy? You know, what's what's uh, what do they call it? Uh, D was it DEI um, division? Oh, what I call it is division, uh, exclusion, and idiocracy. I think they call it diversity, equity, and inclusion. No, 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 no. It's 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 division, uh, extortion. Well, I've even said extortion too. Division, extortion, and idiocracy. That's what DEI is. Division, extortion, and idiocracy. And so I, of course, define everything you know, in my own terms. Um, that's just kind of how I do it. All right. So lots of time. Don't know who's going to show up. We'll, we'll see what happens. I've got plenty of things to play just in case. I, I need to make some new ones, which would be really nice um, to do that. But uh, you know, life's been busy. Anyway, that Brandon Straka um, interview was fascinating, uh, as was Chris uh, Jersey yesterday. But Brandon particularly, because he was locked up for three months, because he's got three years of probation, he's probably still on probation. I'm sure he is. I don't think it's been three years um, since um, since his you know, bogus arrest, uh, incarceration, uh, and, and show trial and mock trial and just, uh, just hideous treatment uh, of him. But now he's back and he's got walk away social and we're, I've already joined it and we'll see what we can do with it. It should be interesting to uh, see how that goes. All right, let's talk about Ron DeSantis. I've got a bunch of articles, uh, including one that I wrote way back in April of 2020 uh, when I called him dictator DeSantis. And I want to go over that too. We'll, we'll, and plus I have a bunch of articles. I found, uh, I had, a, I have a file. Uh, of uh, of old uh, of original COVID articles, and you'd be surprised what they said back then. You know, and there's the reason that I thought it wasn't that big a deal was because all the articles are saying this isn't that big a deal. There's nothing going on here, nothing to see. But of course, those got submerged, suppressed, and I'm surprised they're still on the internet. But I'm gr- I'm glad. Anyway, I found a, an article called Debbie's Substack, and Debbie obviously writes for uh, Substack as I do at gregpenglis.substack.com. And she talks about facts that show that Ron DeSantis is a globalist rhino. Well, of course, this caught my attention. And so, uh, Ron, you know, I, I said don't run. Um, but now the more I find out about uh, this, the more, the more research that's being done, the more I realize he should never probably run for president uh, because he's not Trump. Uh, and we need, we need Trump-like people to run for president, people that cannot be bought, uh, people that love this country, people that have no fear whatsoever. Um, and people that have been tested somehow. Now, Trump's been tested. He was tested before he got into politics, but he was certainly tested in his first term. And as he says, you know, and, and what I love about Trump is he's pissed off. <laughs> Trump is one pissed off mofo. He is really, uh, this is going to be fascinating to see how many people he fires in the federal government. Hopefully everybody over 30. That's, that's what I would do. If I were president, I'd fire everybody over 30 because after that, you've been there too long. You know too much and you're dangerous. You know, I would get rid of all the bureaucracies and find a new way to govern. Uh, in fact, that's what I want to talk to Trump about when he comes on the show, is that's my brainstorm idea. It's like, we need to get together. We need to come up with a new model of government. And bureaucracies have been with us, you know, since the Romans and the Greeks and the Egyptians, and they always cause governments to fail because they become their own kingdoms. They take all the power, uh, and those who run them, you know, have more power than the president uh, themselves, and so that's what's wrong. So I found this. This is written March 10th this year. So recently, the America First Tea Party, uh, which obviously I have to join again and get associated with. And Debbie, who wrote this, says, uh, facts show that Ron DeSantis is a globalist rhino. And then she says, uh, please click on the links in light blue to find out more information. I'll tell you where the links are. 
uh, and you can find out more information. So first one, the DeSantis voted for TPP. Um, that would be the uh, the new labor arrangement that was a total screw up. Let me, well, actually, maybe click on it here. So let's, uh, uh, let's see what TPP is, then I can go back. Uh, so my Twitter says, if something comes on volume-wise that plays something, I'll just have to flip back again. Let me just see what TPP. DeSantis voted for TPP three times in Congress, and he's also backed by the Club for Growth. Club for Growth supports free trade and free market, which is against Trump's fair trade. Club for Growth donated $2 million to him, that would be DeSantis, uh, in August last year alone. So TPP was, uh, was a trade agreement. There we go. And that's the one that Trump pulled us out of because it totally was a screw-up um, for us, you know, we the American people. So that's what TPP is. Number two, DeSantis co-sponsored legislation with 30 Democrats that would make Puerto Rico a state. Isn't that special? Uh, no, you can't do that. Uh, the territory should not be states. You know, in, in fact, in many ways, uh, it would be interesting if Hawaii were an independent nation. You well, think about it. You know, Jamaica used to be British. Uh, Martinique used to be French. Guadeloupe used to be French. St. Thomas, I, th- I think, is, is, is still an American territory. But there's a British. Um, uh, St. Croix, French, St. Kitts. I don't know. Uh, but uh, there's the British Virgin Islands, too. And so I think that might be St. Croix, actually. It's kind of funny, uh, although it sounds French. Anyway, the point is that all these island nations uh, were, are now Bermuda. I think uh, it may be still associated with the British Commonwealth, but uh, why don't we make Hawaii independent? Wouldn't that be interesting? <laughs> you know, you know, everybody else gets their the nation, so we'll have the, the nation of Hawaii. Well, I'm sure we could have bases there and alliances and trade and tourism and things like that, but uh, it'd be very interesting uh, to see that. But anyway, Paul, but uh, Puerto Rico should not be a state uh, because the only states should be the, the states within the United States, which are actually touching each other. The only exception is Alaska. Uh, I'll make an exception for Alaska. But Hawaii, what do you think if we, if we gave Hawaii their independence? Oh, wouldn't that be interesting? Anyway, just a thought. But uh, Puerto Rico, you know, I don't want to see that as a state. The reason the Democrats want it as a state is because of the, there's so many welfare people there and so many Democrats there. They seem to go hand in hand. Number three, DeSantis often praised Paul Ryan, John Bolton, and Bush, uh, and the Bush cabal. Oops. <laughs> the number one most um, I get our least respected person right now, you know, public, public enemy number one in the Republican Party is Paul Ryan. And I said this for years, but it seems to be catching on. Paul Ryan, the, uh, the former Speaker of the House, the one who, when the, the House was Republican in uh, Trump's first terms, that'd be 2017, 2018, made sure nothing Republican actually happened. So Paul Ryan was a disaster. He was a disaster as Mitt Romney's running mate. He was chosen to be Mitt Romney's running mate because he was even more globalist uh, and socialist than Mitt Romney, which is hard to imagine. Well, Mitt Romney has a, has a uh, financial background, so he didn't mind making money for himself, but uh, you know, when it comes to the rest of the country, I don't think he's too sure about that. Uh, John Bolton represents the permanent war class. He's the one that wanted us at war in Venezuela, wanted us at war in Syria. John Bolton hasn't seen a war he doesn't like. You know, so John Bolton wants us at war everywhere for as long as possible. So you don't want to, you don't want to praise him. And of course, the Bush cabal the Bush of the globalist, Bush the elder, Bush the younger. Bush the elder was CIA through and through. And we're hearing more and more about the CIA developing COVID with the military. So that's not good. Um, Bush the younger. What really happened on 9-11? You know, was it to get the Patriot Act? Was it to increase the surveillance? Was it to increase government power? Because we know there's some real problems with, uh, with 9-11. You know, how the building crashes into a top and, and the whole building collapses? Usually buildings collapse from the bottom from demolition charges. Now, I'm not saying there are demolition charges there, although it looks likely. I don't know. But I do know the big mystery is building number seven, uh, which collapsed without being hit by an airplane. 
Isn't that interesting? In exactly the same way as the, as the big towers collapsed. Hmm. That would cause people with a sense of curiosity to ask questions. Well, how much did they, uh, did they want the Patriot Act? Uh, why did they get to Osama bin Laden's family out? The only plane that flew out of the United States was the one with Osama bin Laden's family. Big problem. Here's another one, dissent. Now, this one I disagree with. Dissent is voted three times to privatize Social Security and Medicare uh, and increase the retirement age to 70. Okay, he was wrong to increase the, the retirement age. You know, the people that go into Social Security uh, assume by a certain time, you know, 65, that we're going to have um, full Social Security. I'm 63. I'm almost there. Uh, so, I'll, you know, be there soon. Now, do I want Social Security? Well, hell yeah, because I paid into it. Uh, do I think it's the right system to have? No, it's stupid. And so I think it was uh, Stephen, uh, Stephen Moore, is it Moore, the, uh, the economist uh, with uh, Heritage, who said that 45 is, is really the break point. If, you, uh, if you're over 45, you should continue on Social Security, which should probably be increased uh, because you've already paid in and you're not going to make enough money with the, the amount of lifetime you have left, as they say, um, to, to make it worth your while to privatize it. If you're under 45, you're going to make more money if Social Security is privatized. Privatized means that the money, instead of going to the government, uh, goes into your own private account. So it's still being with, withdrawn from your, from your paycheck. And so, uh, so, so all employees lose 15% of their money uh, for Social Security. The employers take 15% uh, of, of the money that would have gone to you and put that into Social Security. Now they say the employee pays 7%, the employer pays 7, well, 7.5%. You know, they, they each pay, you know, 7.5%. Well, that's a bunch of BS. That's just, that's just naming something that's not true. The truth is that the employer takes 15% of the money that would have gone to the employee and gives it to Social Security. Well, obviously, the, the employee is paying 15% then, or they're losing 15% of their money. But either way, it's 15%, not 7.5%. Well, that, that's, that's uh, more than a lot of people pay in income tax, <laughs> you know, which, is, which is pretty bad. So the only way to, to solve the Social Security and Medicare plan is to have, uh, have a, have a, a private um, voucher health care system uh, with full tax credits, tax deductions, and vouchers uh, for lower-income folks. And, uh, you know, if we can afford trillions of dollars for wars in Afghanistan, we can certainly afford decent health coverage for everybody. So, I, you know, there's a way to do it. So it's a privatized system with vouchers. It's like school choice. So it'd be health choice. So is the government kind of running it? Well, yeah, but they're, what they're doing is they're, they're, they're facilitating the, uh, the cost of it without actually running the program. See, the problem is when the government runs the program. Anyway, privatized Social Security is essential. You have to have that. So I agree with that vote because you have to privatize Social Security. Now, how they did it in Congress, I'm, I, I doubt was the right way to do it simply because they never do it the right way. So, so I have to see how they did it. But the way to do it is the way Chile the, the country of Chile did it, and the way they did it is they said, okay, we're going to take 10% of your money. Social Security takes 15, right? So they, so they actually give a 5% you know, cut in how much is taken, uh, and you end up with more money in the end because it goes into your private account. So they, the, 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 the taking away of 10% of your income is mandatory, and so then it goes into an, a retirement account. You can't touch it until you're older. So every, it's kind of enforced savings, but I agree with that because most people, probably me included, <laughs> would, would, you know, might spend it along the way because, only because I haven't made a whole lot of excess. Um, but if I had excess, I, I know I would have invested it. That's just, uh, that's just my nature. Um, but starting a career has, has been blocked until now. It's like I had to get to retirement age to finally start a career I liked. That's interesting. Number five, Trump wanted to level the playing field on trade with China and threaten tariffs. Then Congressman DeSantis made it clear that he would give Trump runway 
to use tariffs strictly as a negotiating tool, like in the art of the deal, but he made it clear he would oppose tariffs on China imports. Well, that's great. So I'm sure he's, he's got his China you know, savings too. Number six, DeSantis was very much an ally of the deep state and said Trump wasn't tough enough on Putin. See, that's the bellwether. You know, the, the, the thing is, if you don't agree with the, the administration's ridiculous policy uh, on the war in Ukraine, if you don't agree that, that Ukraine should be the Democrat uh, and Republican money laundering piggy bank, if you don't agree that uh, hundreds of thousands of people should be killed on both sides uh, to get to the negotiated settlement that they would have gotten to anyway with nobody killed, then you're somehow an ally of Putin. You know, that's like uh, the old communist sympathizer. You know, you'll come simp. That's what they used to say. I remember uh, uh, Bud McFarlane and regulation. Oh, you had to be uh, tough on the Soviet Union. Otherwise, they'd call you a comm simp. And we'd, you know, what's a comm simp? You know, popping my peas off to the side of my microphone. That's a communist sympathizer. So anytime you do something, anytime you disagree with the powers that be, uh, they say that you're, you're sympathizing with, you know, their enemy. So it's guilt by association. So if you don't agree with a bad policy, then you must be sympathizing with, uh, with our enemy that the bad policy, you know, is trying to help, but it won't. It's really kind of backward logic. Number seven, same article. I'm still going through this. Number seven, he was a strong ally of Zelensky and Ukraine and voted to give them funding. Oh, big problem. That's permanent war class. Okay, the whole reason for Ukraine is the permanent war class because once once uh, Brandon was ordered to surrender in Afghanistan by Obama, uh, then it just became a, a you know. And I believe that Obama ordered the surrender. Um, he also ordered that all the weapons be left there to arm the Taliban and to give them to Iran, which is where they've ended up, so that Iran and, and Russia and China could reverse engineer our most advanced military technology. And it's the same thing that the, uh, the Rosenbergs did in, in the 40s, except they were executed for it. <laughs> okay. So, but when it becomes government policy, when, it, when a government person does it, does exactly the same thing, then they get away with it and they're, you know, they get to, to sit in the deep state and, and run, run the presidency from behind the scenes. Uh, but when the Rosenbergs gave the atomic secrets to the Russians, they were executed as spies. Well, in effect, what's the difference? Well, the difference is that one you know, served, got, served uh, what they thought was the, the world interest, and they were wrong, of course. They were spies. They gave the Russians the bomb. You know? um, but uh, what's the difference with Obama and, and Hillary Clinton, and uh, who used to run guns through Benghazi into Syria? No, that was her big thing. That's why Benghazi was attacked. So what's the difference? <coughs> Excuse me. I think I have a bit of a cold coming on. That's okay. No, it's not COVID. I'm fine. <laughs> anyway, but, um, but what's the difference? What's the difference between uh, uh, complete sabotage, between surrendering uh, when you didn't have to, uh, getting the military out first instead of the people out first, leaving $85 billion of our most sophisticated equipment specifically so the Taliban could pick it up, sell it, get money, give it to Iran, give it to China, give it to Russia so they can reverse engineer it. I mean, that was, that was uh, exactly the same as the Rosenbergs giving away the nuclear secrets. You know, Obama gave away uh, our, our, all our military technology secrets. You know, in the old days, they would have called that espionage. Today, it's just called policy. <laughs> anyway, number seven of our Ron DeSantis uh, top ten here. He was a strong ally of – oh, I already said that one. Okay, strong. He also says DeSantis actually wrote a letter to then Secretary of State John Kerry asking for the Obama administration to do more to help Ukraine. So now we need to find out what Ron DeSantis has with Ukraine. Anyway, here's the letter. Dear Mr. Secretary, we are writing to express our deep concern over the current situation in Ukraine. And this is dated, uh, this is to Honorable Kerry. Of course, that's a contradiction. Uh, date, date, date. When did you date this? Come on, guys. When, where's the date? I don't have a date on it. Well, that's no fun. 
how do we know when this was written? Well, anyway, it says um, Ron DeSantis, member of Congress, so it's at least a few years old. And it was written to uh, during the Obama administration, so uh, this would have been John Kerry's Secretary of State. When was John Kerry's Secretary of State? This would have been you know, the later years of the Obama administration. I think Hillary had left. So it's at least before 2016. So this is fairly old. He says, we are writing to express our deep concerns. Who even knew about Ukraine then, right? We are writing to express, express our deep concern over the current situation in Ukraine. As you know, over a million people have turned out to protest Ukraine President Viktor Yanukovych's sudden reversal of policy in halting the nation's efforts to sign an economic accord with the European Union. Okay, so this would have been 2014. This would have been when Obama overthrew the Yanukovych regime, um, in, which the Russians put in, you know, in favor of Zelensky, whom uh, the West put in. <laughs> it's fascinating. Ukraine's like a basketball or a ping pong ball. You know, ping pong ball going back and forth. Anyway, he says this accord would have liberated trade, liberalized trade, relaxed certain visa restrictions, and generally opened the door for the future membership in the EU which is what you don't want, Ukraine, you know, uh, European, I don't know, European Union is different. Anyway, as a result of this reversal, Ukrainians filled the streets of Kiev, and that's Kiev, K-I-E-V, Kiev, and other cities to peacefully protest this decision and petition their government to reconsider. Although the violence against peaceful protesters, (laughs) haven't we seen that before with, with, uh, um, who who the riots? Is it George Floyd, you know, who, who took fentanyl and, you know, was, put a gun to a pregnant woman's belly. <laughs> George Floyd, right? Who they put in, in memorial statues, right? He says, although the violence against peaceful protests over the last few days is well documented, what's more concerning is timing of this decision. It came immediately after President Yanukovych's talks with Russian President Vladimir Putin, who reportedly threatened the Ukrainian government with severe economic sanctions if Ukraine signed an EU accord. Yeah, see, this all goes to the, why, why go after Ukraine? The only reason to go after Ukraine is to try and start a war with Russia. So you leave Ukraine alone, you let Eastern Europe handle it, and they can figure it out. I mean, the former Warsaw Pact countries, let them do it. It's their problem, it's not our problem. Anyway, it says Yanukovych refused to release imprisoned former minister Yulia Timoshenko, which was a requirement for an EU agreement. Okay, then, as you know, many human rights are anyway, blah, 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 blah. It goes on. Uh, but anyway, it was signed by Tom Cotton, uh, Adam Kinzinger, <laughs> Tom Marino, and Ron DeSantis. Tom Cotton surprises me. You know, why would he sign this? You know, I thought he was one of the good guys. Anyway, number eight. Uh, DeSantis' top advisor and spokesperson is Christina Pushaw, P-U-S-H-A-W. She worked for a George Soros NGO. Uh-oh. That's a non-government organization. She, so, so DeSantis' top advisor and spokesperson is Christina Pushaw. She worked for a George Santos NGO in Eastern Europe <laughs> and also worked for Zelensky. Hmm, isn't that interesting? Uh, she was forced to register as a foreign agent last year. She also worked for a Koch-funded, that's uh, the Koch brothers, Koch-funded group called Stand Together from 2017 to 2019. Well, very interesting. So here we have Open Society Foundations, Christina Pushaw, director of the Georgian NGO New Leaders Initiative. That's like the World Economic Forum, you know, uh, Young Leaders Program, or as I call it, Communist Boot Camp. <laughs> then we have George Soros. Remembering what I do. Okay. A few more here. DeSantis voted against H.R. 1625 and H.R. 3354, which contained border wall funding. Oh, he voted against the wall. Oh, this isn't good. This isn't looking good, Ron. A one-time mega uh, donor to Donald Trump named David McNeil 
got upset that Donald, at Donald Trump because he refused to grant amnesty to DACA and refused to support him further. Well, you can't give amnesty to DACA people. They're illegal aliens. They need to go home. Oh, but Greg, they came in as children. Okay, fine, but they stayed as adults. You know, and we cannot, uh, you know, and I, I'm, I'm going to go by the Hillary Clinton. Uh, the reason we need to send illegal alien home, illegal aliens home to apply to come into the country legally, is, uh, the reason for that was given by Hillary Clinton. Nobody's above the law. <laughs> okay? So there's, there's a perfect Trump talking point. So Trump, you know, if you're listening, which I hope you do someday, or anybody else who's in the Trump administration or, or Trump campaign, your claim to making DACA's go home and apply legally to come back to the United States is that no person is above the law. So for that simple reason, all the illegal aliens have to go because no illegal alien is above the law. Okay, let's, let's use the Hillary Clinton standard. My revelation from yesterday. Number 10, despite the talking points about how DeSantis kept Florida open during COVID, he actually did shut down Florida beaches and he actually did promote the vaccines. DeSantis kept the corporate hotel chains open but shut down private vacation rentals. That would be Airbnb. Private vacation rental owners filed a lawsuit against DeSantis for discrimination. Yeah, I got a surprise for you in the next segment here. So let me see what it says under shutdown Florida beaches. Let's just take a look real quickly. See if there's yet another article. So here we go. DeSantis orders major shutdown of beaches, businesses in Broward, Palm Beach. Movie theaters, bowling alleys, arcades, gyms, beaches, bars, and more will be affected. So this is by Emily L. Mahoney, Time staff, and this would be the Tampa Bay Times, if you're keeping track of, of all this. Uh, all, I, should, I should put this in my, uh, my list of uh, early COVID articles. It says, stories about the coronavirus pandemic are free to read as a public service at Tampa Bay, da, 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 published March 20th, 2020. So this would be five days into 15 days to slow the spread. So five days, so, so Trump, uh, DeSantis is all in on this, all right? This is what makes it so bad. So March 20th, 2020, this is the day before I put my great video out saying this is all a big hoax. It's stealing our rights. It's, this, is, this is treason, right? This is what I said. Um, this article is on Facebook at the Action Radio video page. It's right in the featured section. Easy to find. Anyway, so, uh, so Emily L. Mahoney says Florida Governor Ron DeSantis issued an executive order Friday calling for strict closures of beaches and businesses in Broward and Palm Beach counties. The restrictions are much broader than what he has ordered statewide thus far. The closures apply to, quote, all movie theaters, concert houses, auditoriums, playhouses, bowling alleys, arcades, gymnasiums, fitness studios, and beaches in those two counties, according to, according to the release from the governor's office. The order will be in effect until March 31st. That was two weeks, right? However, they can be renewed at any time with a written request from the county administrators. All right, so this is all illegal, of course. We all know it is. Then it says the two counties' governments will have the ability to enforce, relax, modify, or remove these closures as they see fit. I wonder if anybody actually removed I would have removed them immediately. The news released from the governor's office said, Additionally, all bars, nightclubs, and restaurants with seating for more than 10 people. Well, how many bars only have 10 people? Often, or restaurants, they go broke, right? You know, unless you're some little sidewalk cafe or something like that. Anyway, seating for more than 10 people, close their, uh, close their on-premises services, and can only operate their kitchens for takeout deliveries. This is why takeout food became so popular uh, during, uh, during the COVID thing. You know, so all, all the DoorDashes and, and uh, Uber Eats and uh, all the, 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 the Domino's and... Uh, you know, the other pizza places, uh, oh, what are some of the other ones I'm thinking of? Anyway, you know what I'm talking about, Chinese food. All, all those folks that delivered stuff, Pizza Hut, <laughs> they all made it like bandits because nobody could go to restaurants anymore because Ron DeSantis, you know, as I used to call him, Dictator DeSantis at this particular period, uh, closed everything down. 
Article says the order does not apply to grocery stores, pharmacies, gas stations, or convenience stores. It also didn't apply to Walmart, <laughs> Target, um, and uh, the, the really big stores because they contribute heavily to the, the Rhino campaigns. Back to the, they, the article didn't say that. I just did. <laughs> anyway, since DeSantis speaking in Broward County Thursday evening said he would be issuing the order for Broward and Palm Beach counties Friday morning. The order would be similar to restrictions in Miami-Dade County, uh, he said, and would be made in consultation with local officials, right, who said, yes, sir, we'll lock down. Yes, we will. He said additional closures were necessary in those counties because of community spread of the coronavirus. Of course, that's a bunch of nonsense. It was going to spread anyway. Closed down or not. See, this is the thing, though. Uh, None of this stuff made sense because everybody got exposed to COVID, and Peter McCullough says 94% of the country's already had it. So it's already done. It has been done for a long time. Herd immunity. Everybody was going to get it. So what you do is you protect the people who are most vulnerable to it, who probably would have died of it. That would be the old folks or those with a bunch of comorbidities. Yeah, those are the folks you need to take care of. The rest of us, just like a cold. You, know, you get sick for a couple of days, it's gone. All right? In fact, some people didn't even notice when they had it. Anyway, so the, so the community spread of coronavirus, buying, drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah. He says that's based off recommendations of local officials, but also the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Yeah, that would be one uh, Anthony Fauci. You know, he makes recommendations. He tells you what to do, and you better follow him because, you know, he's science. He knows what science is. He is science. You're not science. Dr. Fascist. Dr. Fascist is science. Genocidal, psychopathic, avaricious, narcissistic, pathologically lying, vaccine drug pusher. Dr. Fascist. Yeah, that's who he is. <laughs> As I mix my Boston and New York accents. But that's okay. It sounds good. Anyways, is that uh, when you do have uh, community spread, then there's additional items that should be on the list. He said, Southeast Florida is the epicenter of what we're fighting in Florida, so we want to work constructively with the local folks. Yeah, a bunch of nonsense, right? Total screw-up. I'm going to keep that article. This is, this is good. What else have I got here? This is, this is well, anyway, uh, yeah, definitely going to, uh, let's say that one. I have too many articles. My, uh, my signal is going to get a little weaker as I do this, but we'll see what happens. All right, so with that, what else do we have? Uh, promote the vaccines. Let's get that article. This should be interesting. Newsweek, videos of DeSantis promoting COVID vaccines resurface as he targets CDC by Catherine Fung, F-U-N-G, on December 15th of 2022. Okay, so that was more recent. All right, so yeah, I'm not going to worry about it too much. Videos showing Florida's Ron DeSantis promoting COVID vaccines last year are recirculating amid his request for a state investigation into any wrongdoing linked to the messed RNA shots. Well, DeSantis, you can't have it both ways. You can't promote vaccines, which aren't vaccines, and then complain about that there might be problems with them. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. He said, the article says this week, the Santa has launched an attack on the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, after he asked the Florida Supreme Court to impanel a grand jury to investigate any and all wrongdoing in Florida with respect to COVID-19 vaccines. A bit late, don't you think? Including the pharmaceutical manufacturers and medical associations. But he didn't come out for vaccine product liability, you'll notice. Nobody does, except me. You know, everybody's quite happy with this ridiculous law. All right, so I don't need that one. Let's Let's save the other one here. Let's see if I have one more. What's that? Okay, so I read that, read that, read that. Pass, 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 pass. Here we go. It says, DeSantis kept the corporate hotel chains open but shut down private vacation rentals. Private vacation rental owners filed a lawsuit. Let's click on that. See what that one says. This one might be worth saving. Florida property owners sue Governor DeSantis for shutting down vacation rentals. Friday, May 8th, 2020. The articles were written in 2020. By the time the vaccine came out, everybody was under the spell and it was too late. 
this is from Orlando Weekly. So these are local publications. Dara Karn, no, Cam, D-A-R-A-K-A-M, News Service of Florida, Friday, May 8th of 2020. Property owners and a vacation rental management company have filed a federal lawsuit against Governor DeSantis, accusing him of violating their constitutional rights by shutting down vacation rentals during the public health crisis caused by COVID-19. The lawsuit seeks to protect and vindicate fundamental liberties that citizens of the United States enjoy free from government interference. Yeah, see, the Constitution is always in effect. They, they keep forgetting that little detail, right? It says, ask the federal judge to issue a temporary restraining order or injunction prohibiting enforcement of the governor's order. DeSantis issued a March 27th executive order that blocks people from renting vacation properties during the public health emergency, but he allowed hotels, motels, inns, resorts, and timeshares to remain open. Can you say hypocrisy? Uh, DeSantis said the, the vacation rental ban was necessary to discourage people from other states, such as COVID-19, quote, hotspots, Louisiana and New York, from traveling to the Sunshine State and spreading the highly contagious disease. Well, Carcinari went through December 2019. So, so by the time this, this article came out and this executive order came out, it had already been through Florida. All right. Anyway, it says, uh, from traveling to the ban, which also prohibited advertising of rental opportunities during the duration of the order, includes an exception allowing vacation rentals for military, emergency, and health workers. Why would you do that? It's either dangerous or it's not. If it's not dangerous, then everybody comes. If it is dangerous, then why would you uh, let military folks stay there, you know, or anybody else? Says, anyway, the emergency order was set to expire, but the governor last week extended the vacation rental ban indefinitely. What if it's still on? Anyway, lawsuit filed Thursday in Tampa identifies the plaintiffs as Galen and Wendy Alsop, retired military couple, da, 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 yada, yada, yada. All right. Got to keep this one, too. <laughs> this is a great article, so I'll put that in with my... Uh, my beach article. Let's see if I can find that one here. Let's do this here. Do this here. Put this here. Oh, boy. It's going to be a long morning. <laughs> I think I'm about done with this article. Uh, then we got trashing the J6 attendees. So, so DeSantis joined the left going after Trump for day six, January 6th. Oh, now you've really got me mad, DeSantis. DeSantis Deputy Press Secretary Jeremy Redfern uh, cheered Ashley Babbitt's death. Uh-oh, oh-oh, that's a problem. Yeah, that's a big problem. Let me see, let's, let's see what the article says here. Tragedy J6 attendees. I'll take a break in a minute. <clears throat> this, this is a long time to talk. Oh, from Loomer, yeah, Laura Loomer. I, I've connected with her substack too. So that's good. Prosecutor Ron DeSantis, an enemy to J6 political prisoners. Oh, see, she called them political prisoners early too. Yeah, it says, I actually, oh, here's the quote from Ron DeSantis. I actually am glad to see some of these people being arrested from the chief thing because I think the prosecutions will really make a difference. Ron DeSantis, you jerk. Anyway, this is, uh, here we go. Uh, as, January, as January 2023 has concluded, it has officially been two years since the January 6th, uh, 2021, Stop the Steal protests in Washington, D.C. Over the last two years, hundreds of J6 political prisoners have continued to rot in prison while their due process and right to a trial that consists of a jury of their peers has been denied. Many of the J6 defendants remain in prison under pretrial detention despite committing zero violent acts at the U.S. Capitol. All right. But the main thing is that the DeSantis quote, it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, he's too much support of that. All right. Let me just cover this here. I'm going to take a break for a second. Do I need this one? Yeah, maybe not. I think I'll keep that one. Uh, I've got a few more here. How many more do I have? Hmm, a few more. Anyway, so let me hold up right now. Take a little break. 
and I'll come back with more exciting Ron DeSantis screw-ups, you know, and reasons why he shouldn't be president. We'll start with our uh, our regular stuff here, and then I've got a bunch more things to play. Let me ask to play something different. What if I played for a while? Let me give you something a little more interesting to uh, to listen to. Uh, hang on, I've got to... The, the the Adobe Flash thing has just appeared on my screen. It's a it's um, malware. It's a problem. Well, got rid of that. Should play my Christmas greetings. Play that. Play that. Play that. Oh, I've done this one for a while. Nah, I don't play that. I'm looking around for for some things. Maybe I'll give you a short. Let's do a little jazz again. We did this last time. It was kind of fun. Time for a little Dixieland jazz. I'll be back in about four, what is it, four minutes, four and a half minutes. And so enjoy a little jazz. I'll be back.
Radio. Dangerously cool. Okay, I'm back. Looks like I had a call in line here, so I'm going to check this out real quick. But uh, I had some folks uh, that I was hoping to talk to this hour. Uh, that's not the number. <laughs> so we'll see who it is. Or maybe I'll just be brave and take it. But I always like to... Uh, uh, to take a look first. Anyway, so yeah, so a lot of Ron DeSantis stuff that's coming out. It's going to be very interesting. And what a surprise I have for you that I'll get to uh, in a little bit, depending on my folks calling at 8 o'clock, uh, is the fact that I wrote an article. Uh, it was an open letter to Ron DeSantis back in April of 2020. I basically said, Dictator DeSantis, you can't do what you're doing. And I had a bunch, I cited a bunch of articles in it, which I've now you know, put into my, uh, my early COVID articles thing, but it's fascinating. The things that came out then, the lockdowns don't work, that uh, this is crazy, that you're making the situation worse, you know, there's no pandemic, what's going on here, you idiots, <laughs> you know, and of course that all got uh, shuttled aside uh, when the great censorship uh, began. So let me see if I can find my person here, and then we'll take a look real quick. But uh, the other thing to do is, is to check in on, just check in on a live chat, especially if you're a new caller. Oh, I got a lot of call. Oh, I think I know who this is. <laughs> okay. So needless to say, I've been busy reading and my live chat has taken off. This is why I need a producer. So let's, uh, at some point, we'll, we'll get myself a producer here. Let's, let's bring on uh, uh, Calman right away. Hey, sorry for the delay. I've been, uh, I've been busy. <laughs> Good morning. Let's see if we can go over your comments here. Morning. No, uh, I like the jazz. How you been? It was nice. Yeah. I haven't been that bad. I mean, just been working a lot and uh, for the most part just studying. Like I always do it, study the world. So. Okay. Um, I want to chime in on this distinction. Yeah, um, please. You know, when it when it came down to COVID uh, in the very beginning, I, I knew about it probably the end of November in 2019. I knew something funny was going on in China because a mm-hmm. lot of investors and a lot of big, big money people are like, there's something going around here. You know, something doesn't seem right. Mm, interesting. And when it came to March and all the extremes that our government did, you know, literally becoming a oligarchical dictatorship, um, no one knew in the beginning. No one knew. I, I like the thing. I do. I do. Um, no one knew in the beginning. And you had to, you had to do something. Someone, yeah, someone had to do something. You know, well, in terms of what? Because a lot of people, some of the people who advised Trump, I remember him saying this, said just let it run its course and it'll go away. And that, that was my recommendation. Uh, and, and, you know, that you get to herd immunity. And we knew pretty quickly that this wasn't uh, uh, deadly except to people with a whole bunch of comorbidities, the biggest one being age, uh, the second being obesity and then diabetes, and then, I guess, you know, cancer, heart disease, things like that. But most people, 99, you know, plus percent of the population was going to get at worst moderate symptoms. And that wasn't too hard to figure out by, based on our you know, no experience. One, no one really had a good understanding, understanding of, like, the mortality rate of it because, China was so secretive about it. You know, they, well, they wait a knew minute. it no, I, I, the lab. But, uh, they, they had to sit there and cover the butt, you know. What time are we talking um, about? What, what time period? Are you talking about uh, 2019 when it was first released? No, well, when do you think it was? 20. Okay, so whenabouts? Because i got articles saying something between, very different. Between the months of uh, January and March when the lockdown hit, no one okay. knew the mortality rate. China was really hush-hush about it because they knew it leaked from a lab. They, but it was already they, here, they're though. still covering it up with the World Health Organization. Yeah. Um, and but it was, it, it was already here. You didn't want to look I mean, like a weak uh, leader. You know, neither did yeah. Trump. You know? Okay. I remember all the uh, big executives uh, of, like, Procter & Gamble, um, Walmart, et cetera, standing behind Trump outside uh, the White House, you know, in that little press garden that everyone always stood at. 
like we're we're gonna we're gonna get stuff done, blah blah blah. You know, we're gonna take precautions. We're gonna we're gonna figure stuff out. You know, and um, that that was a that was a look of strong leadership. I do admit that was strong leadership. No one knew what would happen, and even as a governor, you know, DeSantis shutting down beaches. You know, one thing that I always thought was funny though, mm-hmm. sunlight kills germs and bacteria. How about that? Why shut down? The <laughs> Why shut down? The yeah, yeah I said means. exactly the same thing. Now, I've got an article to prove it. So I've got it was dated April 2020. You know, it's like the worst thing you want to do is shut down the beaches. We talked about this on the show. You've got ultraviolet light, which kills germs, bacteria, and viruses. You've got salt air, salt water. You've got a beach. You know, all the things that are that are designed to kill um, various viruses, bacteria, and germs are all there at the beach. That's the last place you want to close. In fact, you want to encourage people to go, go to the beach. You know, get some sun, get some. You know, on another note, another note uh-huh. on that too. Uh, spring break was occurring at that time too. Yeah, and all yeah. the plane flights were really cheap, and all these kids were going everywhere. Mm-hmm. They were like, and they were fine. I, I knew that some there, there was no spring break COVID epidemic. That you know, there was no spring break epidemic. Kids were fine. Yeah, because they're young and healthy. Could have happened yeah. to them kids is getting together and then everyone gets sick and stays home for a minute. Well, they get drunk. <laughs> they do stupid things. Hey, I went to a spring break. <clears throat> you know, it's one of those lesser known stories that uh, I drove with uh, some fraternity bros, you know, down to uh, Daytona Beach. And I woke up on a beach with my car beside me on the beach. I'm not exactly sure how I got there. <laughs> I probably should admit that. Not that bad of a time, if I say so myself. It, it was a great time. But, uh, no, I think we were just really tired. I think I drove what looked like a road, but we, we were directed. And we all ended up on the beach. And, of course, I, you know, and I, I wake up. I'm sleeping on the beach. And this is, I must have crawled there sometime the night before. I woke up in the sun. It's like, wow, this is really pretty. I'm on a beach. How did I get here? Oh, there's my car. How did that get here? <laughs> uh, they're my friends. I know how they got yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it was just, it was, it was kind of a, one of those, you know, great, great moments in life. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Very exciting. Anyway, yeah, but, um, um, that's a great but thing. But the idea of like strong leadership in, in that <laughs> well, uh, situation that occurred, you know, what, I mean, you had to do something. You, you didn't hmm, want to look like I, a guy I, like, oh, I'm not going to do anything. No one did, man. The original, the original COVID virus was so similar to HIV that it's why it spread so fast. So fast within the years, it was so similar to HIV. Um, and I, I can show you the documentation. I can I can show you the. It's why China literally gives HIV medication to its population when they're exposed and have COVID. They they understand. Well, they put the virus um, in, the, in the in the so-called vaccine too, but that's another story. Now, here's the, here's the thing about this, this whole idea of doing something. It's like when when uh, yeah. when there's an assassination by a crazy person uh, who kills a bunch of school kids. The first thing that uh, the government wants to do is do something, and the first thing they do is is try to take guns away from people that didn't do it. You know, it's it's an insane reaction. You know, it's it's like uh, it's like locking up the sober drivers when someone drives drunk and kills somebody. Well, that doesn't do anything. You know, but this idea of doing something, I'm going to challenge you on this. And this is going to be a really good call because I want to challenge you on this because the best thing to yeah. do in COVID actually was doing nothing. Uh, and so, so when you say do something, who is the governing authority uh, when it comes to uh, a pandemic or, or anything like that? What's the governing authority? What is the supreme law of the land? Well, now it apparently is the CDC. And, um, no, what is, uh, no, no what, is, what is officially, what is the pandemic, supreme law of the land? Mm-hmm. 
well how the laws are now. But wait a minute. I mean, shoot. in the pandemic, um, no, this is this is really important. In the pandemic, what is the supreme law yeah. of the land? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Constitution. The Constitution and the Bill of sure. Rights are the supreme law of the land. Do they have a suspension clause? Nope. Nope. Do they have a restriction uh, clause? No suspension of right. Okay. I, do they? I believe, did, I, right. No, there isn't. You know, okay, trust me. Law more than I. Yeah, these are so rhetorical I questions. I don't know. If Obviously, a, I know the answer. Okay. So, so there's no yeah. suspension clause. There's no restriction clause. Is there a provision for emergencies in the Constitution? In the Constitution, I don't believe that. No. I believe that there's amendment. No, there isn't. Because the Constitution, in fact, I talked about this with Jeff Childers, uh, who is, who's a lawyer who went over this. He's from Childers Law. He's the one that got rid of the Gainesville mask mandate in Gainesville, Florida. And what we talked about was the Weimar Republic in Germany, which had an emergencies clause, which said that if there's an emergency, any of these provisions can be overridden. So the first thing that the government did was declare an emergency. Hitler comes to power, declares a total emergency, takes power. And uh, the result is World War II. So emergency clauses, sure. the Supreme, so, so, so everything that was done with mandates, everything that was done with lockdowns, everything that was done with masks, everything that was with vaccine mandates, none of those were constitutional. They were all illegal. See, the thing is, freedom works. And this is what I, I really wanted to emphasize to everybody. Freedom works. The freedom of information would have allowed these early articles on COVID to circulate saying that this wasn't that big a deal. The early information would have had the DDRL study on chloroquine, later hydroxychloroquine. The freedom of information would have had Dr. Zelenko on every news show in the country talking about his protocol, which saved people, millions worldwide. Freedom of information would have yeah. had all the doctors that were doing things that worked, all the folks we hear about now, uh, Pierre Corey, Ryan Cole, Brian Artis, Judy Mikovits, you know, all these, our local, Dr. Deb DeGleon, all these wonderful folks, these early doctors, Ben Marble, the Jim Thorpe, that were right there at the beginning saying, you people are doing things wrong. You know, the remdesivir ventilator death march is wrong, and all these things are making COVID worse. Freedom would have cured COVID. And I've got the CDC chart to prove it by, by mid-July 2020, because it, it's, it came here in early February. That's when people started dying. Uh, it peaked April 15th. I, I, can, I, can, I post the CDC chart. If you want to take a look, go to my Substack, gregpenglis.substack.com. Read the article, the chart that showed COVID ended mid-July 2020. And it's, a, it's, a, it's the last honest CDC chart. It shows the death rate going from April 15th at the peak to zero in mid-July 2020. After that, they started fudging the numbers, and they went from deaths to cases. But the Constitution worked. You know that the, elderly, the freedom would have, you know, would have ended this mid-July, and there would have been no vaccine. There would have been no need for a vaccine in December when COVID was already over in July. Go ahead. You know, I'm not going to disagree with you whatsoever. I, you're, you're right. You are absolutely right. Um, if you, the mortality rate was mm -hmm. at the highest, like 0 0.02 percent. Mm -hmm. um in the beginning, no one knew. This is something that I really want to. We, we you say that, but, but no people, one knew. But we knew very quickly. China published the genome. Do you know the genome was published? The COVID genome was published. They had it in Australia. They had it all over the place. Everybody knew what COVID yeah, was. I, I think I had that. I have that. I think it's uh, the beginning okay. of February in 2020 when uh, I saw the, um, the molecular structure and the makeup of it. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it clearly is, like, man-made. I mean, too much um, precision, I guess, is the term. Mm -hmm. um, 
So why didn't they haul in the men that made it? If it's man-made, why didn't we haul in the men and women that made it? And say, what the hell are you people doing? <laughs> you know, what is that? I know, man. You know, that's what they No. I hope we can no, get no, 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 I hope, I no, hope no, 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 no. It was here. It was here that it was made. It was made here. Was it Ralph Barrick and, uh, and Fauci? At least folks, they only moved it to China when Obama, you know, banned gain-of-function research to make it uh, more deadly. It was made here. Oh, they, they sent the money and the funding with EcoHealth and the uh, National Institute of Health uh, grant over to right. Wuhan. It's, it's a yeah. different governmental jurisdiction. We have no influence on China. I mean, no, no, we I'm, try see, to do anything the, in China. No, 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 China no, no, own it. Forget China. China's, Calman, China's not the issue. The issue is the folks who created it here. Fauci, Barrick, uh, all these other folks. North Carolina University, uh, the, the Department of Defense, and the CIA. That's where, that's where COVID was created. It was okay. created here. Sure. So what, okay. what Trump should have done, what Trump should have done immediately, if he had any, any kind of decent intelligence, was haul those people into uh, the Justice Department and, and just question the hell. And what the hell are you doing? What is this? Where did you find it? Why did you ship it to China? What's going on here? He didn't do that because he let uh, Dr. Fascist take over. That was Trump's biggest mistake. But he got bad information. And like you say, he wanted to do the right thing and be strong. But the right thing to do, as always, is follow the Constitution, the supreme law of the land, maintain the separation of powers, maintain the Bill of Rights, and we would have been fine. I agree. Okay. It ultimately would have worked out longer, better mm-hmm. in the long run. I mean, mass proved to be pointless. Um, Operation Warp Speed was as much as... They put, what, $150 billion into an extremely fast-paced vaccine development program by Pfizer, BioNTech, mm-hmm. AstraZeneca, um, the Oxford one. Well, actually, I think AstraZeneca is Oxford. Um, and Moderna, et cetera. You see now, three years later, they're, they're actually worse for it. It's mm-hmm. not. You know, um, you're more liable to catch COVID with the vaccine than no, developing natural, uh, natural immunity. Well, check our show when we did this like last Friday, we had, uh, I was talking about the, I started talking about this maybe a couple of weeks ago about the binary bioweapon. So there's two parts to the binary bioweapon. In fact, Alex Jones was one of the first to do this. He talked about, he said, something's coming down the pike. And this is maybe back 2019 before we knew what COVID was. He said, this is binary bioweapon. It's going to be a vaccine and, and a virus. And they're going to work together to kill millions of people. I said, well, that's interesting. But I remembered it. I said, oh, there we go. So they work together. So the, the virus is, the, is the, uh, the first part. It's like epoxy. You know, you've got two chemicals, uh, the, the substances. They don't do a whole much by themselves. You put them together, they form this rock-solid substance. Well, it, it's like uh, the, the vaccine and the virus are like epoxy blood clots. So the virus by itself, most people, yeah, you get sick for a few days, you're done, right, at the worst. Um, the vaccine by itself, yeah, it's bad. But it's nowhere near as bad as if uh, you combine the two. So you combine the COVID vaccine with the COVID virus, then you get massive blood clots and people are dying. They're dropping dead at, uh, you know, any age, young folks. So, again, freedom would have worked. The freedom to choose to do it or not. Well, I got and a question the biggest... for you. Um, Go for it. Then I got a question did for you. you. Did you see that interview when it came to that uh, research and development uh, Pfizer executive that was caught with uh, Project Veritas? Uh, Veritas um, I saw the whole, yeah, I definitely saw that interview. I'm trying to get in touch with James yeah, O'Keefe. Yeah. I want to work with him. 
Oh, if you could get him on the show, oh my gosh, that would be amazing. I'd, well, I'd, not just get him on the show. Time, I want to like, work with him. No, you, you don't understand. I want to work with him. I want them becoming journalist activists. In other words, once they find the, the, the problem, we write corrective legislation for the solution. That's what I want to do with James O'Keefe. So anybody knows James O'Keefe? Well, you know, majority of I'm looking for is actually thinking on joining him on like new venture projects because the Who board is? got rid of him, you know, blah blah blah, because he caught that guy red-handed, and oh, yeah. I believe that guy said to whoever he was talking to was the truth. Mm-hmm. He was boasting about it. You know, why mm-hmm. why would you sit there as the head of research and development boasting about doing alterations to the virus and creating? Creating another vi- another virus in order to be able to sell a product like you're you're purposely almost trying to kill people like this is hmm. terrible. Killing people for a profit? Oh please, that's, that's like a, that's an age old institution. But think about it too. He remember when he said he was trying to impress somebody on a date? How could you record that secretly? Oh, do you remember you know how small cameras are now? You know how small I, no, I could that's have not a the point. The point is, I think he was talking. I think he was. I think he was talking to a dude. <laughs> so the, the, the part that hasn't come out about this is that, uh, you know, that uh, yeah, he was talking to a dude. I think okay. it was like so. The is he? Is the LGBTQ community protecting him? Because we haven't seen him for a while. Where'd he go? I'm just curious. Well, I wouldn't think it's that community that's protecting him. You know what I mean? I mean, somebody is. When, when your profits are over a hundred billion dollars from the development of a vaccine, mm-hmm. like even even with oil profits, Chevron, um, Exxon Mobil, they had like two hundred billion this year because of uh, the crisis, um, Ukrainian war, et cetera, and the loss of um, exports into Europe from Russia, et cetera. That's that's a hundred billion dollars. Okay, mm-hmm. with not that high of cost. You know, the research and development of the vaccine was done by us. Like, we, we paid for yeah. it. We paid See, like $150 billion for Operation yeah. Warp Speed. And that's why all these but, vaccines were free, but at the same time, like, the government paid for it. They weren't free. So, <laughs> no, no, so now that's, that's, you get a really good illustration between the oil companies, which have to pay for exploration, research and development, marketing, transportation, pipelines, refineries. They pay for everything along the way. They better damn well make a profit because they have to reinvest so much to get their product to us. Now, I expect yeah. them to make a huge yeah. profit because most people uh, in the course of the day are going to use a petroleum product, whether it's plastics, gasoline, diesel, heating oil, tar, roads, roofs, you know, uh, fertilizer, you know, the multiple, the multiple. But I always tell people, if you look all around you, everything Mm -hmm. uses oil, natural gas. Yeah, including medicine. (laughs) You know, yeah. So I I expect petroleum to make a whole bunch of money because they provide a whole bunch of service to us. So I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem with um, is big pharma has no cost, no research and development, no marketing, no advertising, no transportation, no storage, no research and development, uh, and they still make billions of profit off the sale to the government of something that's experimental, that nobody has any idea what's in it, and they have absolutely no liability whatsoever for that product. So however bad it is, however many people die, they they don't care. All the media outlets, they buy up mm-hmm. all the media outlets by offering, you know, mm-hmm. you know, adver- you know, all this stuff. They Not buy this up one. all of it. 
they get Hollywood behind them and yeah. just create this ideology that all oh, praise the vaccine. But no one does any research because the real research, I think, what's his name? Robert Malone? Malone? He was the developer of the... Yeah, he was on the show a couple yeah, of weeks ago. RNA uh, vaccine, et cetera. He was, he was like the developer of it in MIT. Mm-hmm. And um, the cardiovascular guy who was uh, Peter talking McCullough. about um, myocarditis. Peter the McCullough. very beginning. They lost yeah. all their platforms. In fact, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they were called disinformation spreaders, even though mm-hmm. the guy literally developed the sequence for the vaccine. And he mm-hmm. knew of autoimmune-dependent enhancement. Um, yep, that's, how that, vari- right? that's how variations are created, or, or uh, what do they call them? Um, mutations vary. Yeah, what's it called? Autoimmune, because that's a key term. I forgot what that term was. Autoimmune, what is it again? Autoimmune dependent enhancement. So if you get the vaccine, mm-hmm. you know, it's an mRNA developed vaccine, except the Johnson & Johnson one wasn't, but it was not very effective, whatever. It was essentially just like the chicken pot. Like, I'm giving you right. the, the virus, you're going to build a type of uh, immunity to it, whatever. Right. Um, but it mm-hmm. rewrites the access um, RNA, so mm-hmm. then the virus can't access you. Mm-hmm. But then when the virus adapts, you need to get another shot, else you're very susceptible to getting the new version of the virus. Okay, let's say yeah. the original Omicron, Delta, mm-hmm. you know, all, all the different variations. It creates mm-hmm. a dependency on getting booster shots, etc. Mm-hmm. But the that's virus what called marketing. didn't evolve deadly. It didn't evolve it's, it's called deadly. marketing. It, it evolved yeah. to like a cough, uh-huh. you know. So that's no, but all those variations that was on that all, uh, date or whatever. You're trying to figure out the next cause, like <laughs> make people buy more vaccines, in my opinion. Well, it's a, it's a marketing plan. See, this is the perfect marketing plan. First of all, the government mandates it. The government pays for it. A big pharma gets all the profits. They guilt people, shame people, and mandate people into getting it. Uh, it perpetuates COVID. Uh, by, by creating more COVID, it creates more fear, which creates more demand for the vaccine, which creates more COVID, which creates more fear, which creates more demand for the vaccine. <laughs> you know, uh, this is how it works. But uh, the, the variables, the variations, the mutations were all created by this autoimmune-dependent enhancement because the, quote, non-vaccine, well, the non-vaccines, which is what it is, um, only uh, is, is geared for one particular, uh, I forgot the right word, though, the, the original strain of it. The alpha strain was, was the one the, 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 the non-vaccine is still created for. Well, that thing died out back at the end of 2020. It was gone, <laughs> you know, so all these new ones came out. So the vaccine actually creates the, the mutations and the variations, and that's the problem. But uh, there was a question I had for you. Uh, a lot of all these mandates, all these mask things, all the, uh, the lockdowns are, are assuming one thing that you can never assume. And this is why freedom works. This is why you always have to have the Constitution and the ability to question. They were assuming that what the government said was true. And that was the problem. <laughs> You, you, you look know, at everything. The mandate. Why do you have to do a mandate? Well, because we have to stop COVID. Well, well based on what? Well, the government said so. Well, you have to assume that what the government said was true. And you can't do that. See, the only way this all holds together is that people have to assume. That's when I had liberals on my show. Well, are you an expert? Uh, well, it depends. I, I know what the Constitution says. I know what freedom's all about. And I know I can question it. And I don't know if the, the government hasn't proven to me that what they're saying is true. Well, you don't know. You're not an expert. Well, the experts killed a million people. And I, I you know... The more people listen to this show, I think the more people were saved. 
Not that I can take credit for that because I was just, you know, talking, I was just getting research from uh, people that really do know. But the question is, the only way that you can assume that, uh, that the government had to do something and what they did was right, that you assume that the government was right. In fact, they weren't. It was just the opposite. Vaccines from Desivere, ventilators, mandates, lockdowns, kill people. They weren't, they weren't telling us the truth. Mm-hmm. I think the government was holding a lot back and wasn't mm-hmm. telling us the truth because right. they didn't want to create mass hysteria. You know, no, um, I don't think so. A wide panic. No, like people no, buy I think just the opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, because um, of Venezuela. They ran out of Venezuela and they're just replicating. Now, think about it. If the government told the truth, they would have said, this isn't that big a deal. 99.9% of you are going to get over it. You might have moderate symptoms. Uh, we're going to get to herd immunity in a few weeks. It'll be done. Uh, and here are the treatments. You know, go find a doctor, pick the treatment that works, and uh, stick with that. That's if the government told the truth. So it's just the opposite. The, what, what the government lied about is what caused the mass panic. If the government had told the truth and just let the free exchange of information go, there would have been no pandemic. The pandemic was designed to sell vaccines. It's a marketing plan. The pandemic you know, is the first what's funny medical... What's you saying that? Go ahead. You saying mm-hmm. that, and, you know, if our government told us, don't, don't panic, don't worry, you know, keep doing your thing. Mm-hmm. The only people that actually did that. So 2020, the Lunar New Year, okay, the mm-hmm. Asian Lunar New Year, you know, it's the big event in Asia, right? Mm-hmm. Nancy Pelosi, Andrew Camuna, or Camuna, whatever, uh, Gavin Newsom, everyone was going to, like, Chinatown. Like, oh, everyone hang cool. out. To yeah. be honest, they were the only ones that actually, like, said, hey, everyone just get along. But then they realized, like, oh, this is a crisis. You know, never let a crisis go to waste because it's always an opportunity. If well, or never, never let the opportunity to create a crisis go to waste. <laughs> you know, because this is this is a non-crisis. Um, this is crazy. Yeah, you got a lot of comments here. So let's. You want to go through your comments? Because I'm sorry, I was reading an article, uh, and it covers up the comments section. I keep the phone line open so I can see when people call in. But you've got uh, yeah. Trump does have exposure, and then we got here fair, uh, I guess, access of the communists. Fair assessment of the communist overview of our government. We got that. Uh, okay, under 30, you get... Oh, yeah, so do you like my idea of firing everybody over 30 <laughs> for the government so we can start over? Yeah, I was curious about that because, mm-hmm. like, it seems like it would prevent, like, entrenchment into mm-hmm. uh, alphabet agency position. I mean, when I say alphabet agencies, for anyone who's looking... I know what you mean. I mean, like, you know, CDC, FBI, CIA, NSA, mm-hmm. NIH, you know... Um, NIS, all these, they're alphabet agencies, it's a little term of it. Mm-hmm. But with long-term positioning, you get experience and wisdom. You know, you, you understand, like, okay, when I go talk to a, a Chinese guy, I know to sit there and bow and stuff like that. You know, even something simple like that, you, you gain this experience of interaction and mm-hmm. work. And, you know, fire anyone under 30. Okay, I get that. You know, no, over 30. I know a lot of <laughs> under 30-year-olds who seem like they're smart people, but really they don't understand, like, they don't understand much, you know. No, Age no. In fact, I, I, I get smarter as I get older, and I'm, I'm over 60, so I understand that. But uh, it was just it was more a metaphor than anything else that uh, basically anybody with more than 10 years' experience probably has too much power. So what I would recommend... Uh, in fact, I wanted to, this is, here's the big project, a long-term project of Action Radio, is to come up with a new model for government. 
And I've created something I call Brainstorm Day. And that's where I can hopefully get Donald Trump and Newt Gingrich and uh, uh, some really smart people together, uh, Thomas Sowell, um, just whoever, you know, just thinking of like the brightest people come to mind, uh, some other folks, and just get together on this big panel and say, we need to come up with a new model for government. Because bureaucracies, going back to the Egyptians and the Romans and, and the Greeks, bureaucracies have always screwed everything up. They become their own kingdoms. They become their own little fiefdoms. They, uh, you know, they have way too much power. And the leaders of them you know, screw up. Now, the military is the right idea. The military keeps moving people around. And I never understood why. And the reason the military moves their officers around is that they don't develop a power base at any particular place. Well, the government should do the same thing. They should have regional offices, either put everything in, in Washington, and control it all and, and have people switch departments all the time or spread the federal government out across the entire country, uh, including Alaska, Hawaii. We'll talk about Hawaii statehood, freedom in a minute, because <laughs> that was kind of interesting too. Uh, but, uh, you know, why, why shouldn't we have – I would keep the Pentagon in Washington, but that's about it. Uh, and, of course, the, the, the government, the, the Congress, the Supreme Court, and the White House. So the basic branches of government we have there. But, you know, you get rid of most departments like education, energy, EPA, things like that. Those are all state functions. Uh, and those that are left, you might want to put them in Fairbanks or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> so somewhere, <laughs> I actually have like a little input on this. Um, okay. I was reading Tell an me. article yesterday about how um, Kellogg's is going to break off into two separate companies, et cetera. Um, mm. Yeah, I was doing my stock stuff. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. They're bre- breaking off into two separate companies. You know, big big elements like CDC, FBI, CIA. You know, CIA's foreign intelligence while the FBI is domestic intelligence. What if and I do understand the idea of having different divisions like, you know, the cybersecurity division, having um domestic like concerned a bit, you know, different divisions. Do you think it would be better if you like break these agencies down? Like for the for example, like the FBI, right? Um the oversight with Merrick Garland, et cetera, and it, it's clearly a political bias. It's, it's clear. Um, but having different bosses, you know what I mean? Like you have Merrick Garland for like cybersecurity or something, like or diversity and equity, equality and inclusion or whatever. You mean you know, div- right? division extortion? Really good yeah. at. I, I call um, it division extortion and idiocracy. That's what DEI is. Division extortion and idiocracy. Well, if um, <laughs> Silicon Valley Bank taught us anything about ESG, environmental, mm-hmm. social, and governance, mm-hmm. terrible investment style. You know, well, wait a minute. Let me ask you a question about that because you know failure. stocks. Do you remember several years ago when they talked about socially responsible investing? This is back in the 80s and 90s. This ESG thing is nothing new. They tried it in the 80s and 90s, and they all went broke. But they tried it again, and they all went broke. They're idiots. I mean, Do you remember? Do you remember socially responsible investing? Remember that big thing in the eighties? I don't because I was born in the late eighties. So oh, you're a youngster. I don't okay, remember. That. I remember it. Um, <laughs> I got a good I am, memory. I'm a young guy, but I'm, I'm I do a lot of studying. Mind, no, that's I fine. You're doing fine. Studying. No, I, listen, I like young folks on the show. My, our youngest reporter is a teenager, so you know it's, uh, it's 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 fine. I like having you on, but I also him? have a really good memory. I remember smart growth how it led to climate change because smart growth was exactly the same thing they're calling for with climate change. No single family homes, you know, planned communities infill, uh, no single car drivers, uh, bike lanes, 
um, and everybody lives, works, and uh, is entertained in shops, you know, in one convenient government planned community. I mean, that's what they want. Uh, and that didn't work. People rejected that in the 90s. And I got the EPA studies. In fact, the, when I used to live in California, uh, the Santa Rosa yeah. uh, County Climate Change Plan, you know, Climate Defensive Plan or, or whatever it was, it, it called for all the same things that climate change called for. Yeah, but it's basically smart growth. It's the same thing came, that came out of the 90s. Urban planners and civil engineers got together and let their wacko government plans go nuts. But nobody wanted them, so they had to put fear into it. And they put fear into it and said, gee, you better do this. We're all going to die. And, of course, uh, it's a bunch of nonsense, and now people are, are catching on to it. Do you remember smart growth? No. Okay. I, d- no. I actually don't know that. Um, okay. I do. <laughs> there is something I do want to say, though. Sure. Following an investment style, like um, environmental, social governance, ESG style, et cetera, you know, it failed in the 80s. Failing right now, obviously, because mm-hmm. a lot of these things are going bankrupt. I, another great example would have been um, uh, that Sam Bankman-Fried you know, made mm. a lot of investments into um, and a lot of uh, promoting of like ESG type situations. You know, mm-hmm. it's going bust. But um, one thing I do want to say too, though, I really don't want to say it's terrible, but when, when you don't have the infrastructure or the resources you need to make a difference, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I'm not saying, like, ESG is, like, the model. What I really am saying is our environmental footprint, okay? Think about going get some fast food. Let's say you go to any fast food place. They give you a bag. You buy one burger. They give you a bag. They give you a napkin. You take the bag. You pull the burger out. You unwrap the burger. You throw the bag in the trash. Okay? Literally mm-hmm. cut down a tree, one shaving of a tree, put a burger in a bag, and then you throw the bag away. Mm-hmm. That, that type of input that happens every day, such a, such a minuscule thing, but times... 350 million people, it's going to have an impact. But mm-hmm. we, we fail to adjust to being environmentally conscious, I guess is the term, because it's damn bad, man. You look, if you look at the way um, Brazil, for example, uh, Bolsonaro, I think that's how you say his name, uh, Lula mm-hmm. just got elected. Uh, no, Gula, oh, Lula stole the election. <laughs> Lula stole it. Yeah, okay, yeah. You knew that. um, (laughs) He essentially said, like, if you want to go out in the woods and, you know, cut down trees and do a plot of land, you can do that. You know, you can raise cattle, you know, grow cocoa, whatever you want to do, whatever they grow in Brazil, corn. You know, um, it fills the demand. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you're destroying your environment. You're you're Mm -hmm. not adjusting to, let's say, the destruction. Um, okay. When these people well, let's, let's start think about growing, growing uh, corn uh, for 20 years, there's no right. crop rotation. You're simply going to yeah. destroy that, like, all the nutrients out of that plot of land that they cleared mm-hmm. all the trees out. And in order to be able to fill pursuit of happiness, liberty, et cetera, I'm, I believe in that. Mm-hmm. But when you don't take care of your life and where you are, you can expect it to just die on. 
I think, okay, I think we fail to understand that nowadays. Yeah. No, you make good points. Let me, let me address them. Uh, you can have environmental um, – you can have a good environment. You can have profit. You can have productivity. You can have a great economy, and you can have uh, prosperous citizenry. You look at the most polluted countries in the world, they're always the socialist, communist, fascist ones because the government doesn't care because they control the means of production. Whereas when it's private industry, when it's private industry, the government, you know, makes the regulations that the private industry will, will work well. I mean, clean technology works. It's also popular. It's also environmental. Now you can do simple things. So that paper, you know, what we used to, when I got my, my start in politics way back in, uh, in college in Massachusetts, I was one of the uh, organizers at the university of Massachusetts for the bottle bill. Bottle bill put five cents, which is, probably like 25 cents now, <clears throat> this is back in the 80s, um, on, on a bottle, a uh, glass bottle, plastic bottle, things like that. So now the incentive is to return them. Now the incentive is to collect them. People made their living picking bottles and, and cans and, and uh, uh, glass and, and plastic out of trash cans. They actually made money doing that. And they would take it in. So you employed people. Okay. It wasn't a burdensome, burdensome cost, five cents, 10 cents, 20, even 25 cents now, you know, on the cost of a soda, which is basically, you know, air, water, and sugar. <laughs> it's not good for you anyway. Um, but, uh, but that, that's a, that's a way out of it. So, you, so there's nothing wrong with, with good regulation. The problem is stupid regulation, uh, subsidizing things like electric cars that are powered by coal, oil, uh, natural gas, what I call the organic fuels thinking that carbon dioxide is a pollutant when it's really plant food and essential to the carbon cycle. So here's a thought for you. Those of us that believe in intelligent design, that, that the earth isn't an accident, don't you find it interesting that the very time in our history when carbon dioxide was dangerously low, that the Industrial Revolution came along, petroleum came, came along, the internal combustion engine came along, and we started burning hydrocarbons, mixing with oxygen, creating carbon dioxide, which is plant food and restored a much better carbon dioxide balance to the world. And the deserts are greening and plants are more productive. There's more food out there. And all these things happen because we started burning what people are calling fossil fuels. I find that fascinating. Give and take scenario and adaptation mm-hmm. to the times, et cetera. I mean, nature finds a way. Nature yeah. Finds oh, wait a minute. But just think about that. Think about the fact that, that the Industrial Revolution and burning uh, uh, petroleum is, a, is good for the environment. That is a staggering thought. It's live radio. I know. I, I'm sitting there <laughs> looking at trees, like, comprehending yeah. all that, you know. So go breathe on a tree. Make it day. Yeah. But think about that, okay? So, so, the, so the, the myth, electric cars are a myth. Electric cars are far more polluting and dangerous, I think, than, than gasoline-powered cars, especially when electric cars and, and gasoline cars use the same petroleum, for the most part, to power themselves. The difference is that the electric car has to have its power converted from coal, oil, natural gas, and uranium uh, into electricity, whereas the, the gasoline or the diesel uh, car or the natural gas vehicle uh, takes their, their organic fuel directly, keeping it 100% potential without a battery. You know, one thing that I actually think is really funny, how uh-huh. uh, the government the government essentially mandated that any government vehicle is going to be mm-hmm. electric. Now, you know, I think the post office is a big one currently right uh-huh. now. They're trying to right. turn it into electrical, you know. Heck, it shut Used down and hold, you know, and takes yeah. hours to charge, you know. Yeah. Um, there, there isn't a reliable 
system replacement for it. And another thing with that, too, is this is the beginning of electric vehicles. This is the very mm -hmm. beginning, the development mm -hmm. of lithium-ion batteries to the extent that it can power a vehicle to go 300 miles. Okay? Mm -hmm. Our government is so inefficient that Tesla is actually probably the best version of the car battery um, to run electrical. Mm -hmm. um, but it should having be a problem with it. There was this company named Rivion, and yeah. I saw a, a breakdown of their car battery. You know, it's, it's very inefficient. Mm -hmm. Our government will not Tesla's for the most part because they are not unionized. <laughs> they are not unionized. So, so our government will not political. use Tesla right. or their batteries because right. Tesla batteries are patented for Teslas. Uh -huh. They're going to use the most inefficient ones. Of course. They're not unionized. Well, that's, that's political. See, the Trump administration wouldn't even use electric cars. <laughs> you know, but actually, most of the government fleets are natural gas vehicles. I guess those are more efficient than gasoline. But does anyone with a gasoline vehicle? You know, all that stuff gets recycled. I mean, the world is a, is a recycling system. We're going to have oil for the next 200 years. Now, ultimately, we'll get to hydrogen power and, and we'll have other fuels. Just as the horse gave way to the automobile, the automobile is going to give way to the hydrogen, you know, jets and AirPod, <laughs> you know, someday, uh, which is now, great. This is something that I want to bring up, too. Um, uh -huh. Right now, as we transition from uh, gasoline-powered cars to uh, electrical why are we transitioning? Um, it's actually at a good point to do it mm -hmm. because we're about, what is it, fission? No, it's fusion. Yes, it's fusion. We're mm -hmm. about to get fusion reactors. I mean, mm -hmm. we're, we're subsidizing it a little bit with uh, what are called SMRs, which are small modular reactors. And I, mm -hmm. I can go on and on about that. It's a pretty nice idea. Um, mm -hmm. But... Uh, the UK actually plans by 2030 to have a fusion reactor built. Now, that'll generate a bunch of electricity, you know, to the point where we really don't need a drill. So the government pushing electric vehicles is not actually a very good thing. It's, it's mm -hmm. not. It's going to create inefficiency. It's going to create lots of waste, misappropriation of funds. Well, it's also unconstitutional. What? It's unconstitutional. Private. There's nothing in, the, nothing in the Constitution that allows the government to engage in commerce, either to subsidize or, or mandate or direct or socially engineer or anything. None of that stuff is constitutional. They don't have any power to do it. So everything they're doing with electric cars is illegal. Now, if they want to do research and development, I don't know. It's up to the states. States can probably uh, you know, uh, do it through the states. But uh, the idea that the federal government is, is uh, engaged in commerce is illegal. CDC is a commercial enterprise. The CDC is not a regulatory agency. You know, they get their authority. They're sort of like quasi-government, but they get their authority from the Commerce Clause. Well, how did that happen? See, the CDC shouldn't now, I exist. I do remember you don't necessarily uh -huh. like grant programs being awarded to uh, certain colleges and universities, et cetera, that well, because they're political and they're selective. That's, that's the problem I have. Yeah, I don't, I'm know, not against grants. Yeah, the I'm LGBTQ against the way grants agenda, are awarded. Balancing yeah. conservative views, uh -huh. et cetera. Clearly it doesn't. Um, right. But the government providing grant programs does, does create um, 
new technology. I mean, it does, I, mean I, I don't have an example off the top. Well, why would, wouldn't but, the same technology be created with private uh, private companies with tax incentives? If I got if you got a company doing research and development, I wouldn't tax them because I wouldn't have a corporate tax anyway. Because that's just stupid. That just that just raises the retail price for people to to buy the goods and services. But if you had, you know, if you had grants, just give them, you know, either directly to a corporation or uh, make uh, make the capital available so you get rid of interest rates or or do something something so that the companies can do it themselves. And that's what they're supposed to do anyway. Why would you subs- Why would you have a government engaged in uh, in research and development that could be better done at the private level? And I'm talking private colleges too. Now, if the government wants to give a grant. You know, I guess that's okay, but the, the main thing is they shouldn't be taxing us in the first place for it. You know, the college should be raising money. That also goes to the point that I was making about um, setting up the infrastructure. Uh-huh. You know, we, we don't have the infrastructure to... Okay, Pensacola, for example. Um, I only know of one Tesla charging site, and that is actually downtown at the Florida Power and Light Administration building. That's How about the that? only one I know in Pensacola. Are you so, on speakerphone now? If you really look at it, and when, when I look at it, mm-hmm. what, four charging booths, four, four little nozzles, okay? <laughs> that's four vehicles, and it takes two hours to charge. There's no infrastructure for this. And our government's sitting there like, oh, you know. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm ready. Hold, hold on. Hold on. Our gas stations. Are they government subsidized or are they owned by the oil companies? Flying demand. Sorry. No, that's not my question. My question is who owns the gas stations? Does the government own them and subsidize them or are they privately owned by company, by oil companies? Obviously a rhetorical question again. Okay. Fair. Fair. They are private. They are private. Right. Um, so no private money. Because private money does not go to gas stations. Private money should not. Hold on, hold on. Let me finish. Let me me finish. Hang on, hang on. Private money should not go to charging stations. I mean, public money should not go to charging stations. If if a power company wants to set up charging stations, that's one thing. But again, they're they're government regulated, so they would just increase their rates to do it. Private companies should run the charging stations, and they should be run with solar and uh, wind if they want to get a green designation. Otherwise, they should be called, you know, fossil fuel stations. <laughs> but uh, charging stations should be completely private. Private company wants to set them up, great. Charging stations of America. For example, is Tesla. Those, those charging stations that they set on highways for the most part, because it's, it's a grid system, logistics. Wait, but does Tesla have their um, own? Tesla has their own charging stations? Private. Uh, those charging stations are private. You know, there there is an incentive well, that's okay. to create well, that's those because but but who vehicles. owns them? No, no. You, let me get my question. Does Tesla own charging stations or charging points, ports, whatever those things are called? You know, I don't know, but I I think it's more of a lease situation because you you would have to set up um, the booths, I guess, in general. And I'm just curious. You, you would be able to profit from it, but 
No, no, what I'm saying is that uh, because they're supposed to be different. This is, this is one of the problems. It's called vertical integration. This is when uh, Standard Oil uh, was broken up because it, was, it controlled the drilling, the pipelines, the refineries, uh, the, the, the transportation, the trucks, and the gas stations. So they, they increased the price all the way along. They, they basically had – they fixed the price. Standard Oil fixed the price of all gasoline in the country and oil because they owned everything. That's why they were broken up. In the same way, vertical integration, you don't want Tesla, who makes electric cars, also owning – uh, charging stations. Those should be owned by a different company. So it doesn't become vertically integrated, as they say. So what I'm saying is, as long as charging points or stations are privately owned, I got no problem. But I don't want to see government subsidized. I'm, I don't want to see any government subsidy of anything electric. It's none of their damn business. And they don't have the authority to do it legally. I mean, they are doing it, but they don't have the authority to do it. That's what I'm saying. Another example that I'm kind of thinking about is I'm actually looking at electrical software right now. Um, us in America, you know, other countries have different prongs when you plug into electrical, electrical sockets, right? Right. You know, there has to be a standard. And the only way to prevent, I guess, almost monopolization of the aspect of charging electrical vehicles would be the government mm-hmm. does have to set a standard of um, plugs, you know, I mean, I, I think about electrical vehicle batteries all the time. Like, well, not all the time, but I, I think about this because mm-hmm. the electrical vehicle batteries are such in, in such an infancy stage because of rechargeability, et cetera. I mean, the idea of a battery has only been around for about 50 years, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm relatively new. So as we, we, we build this infrastructure system, we need to have like a set standard of like, okay, it's going to have okay, wait, 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 wait. So, All right. One. So yeah, hold, hold on, hold on. I think you're talking, you know, underwriters, laboratories and, uh, and standards. Okay. There are, there are consistent things. You want to have the same plug, you want to have the same plug for your computer. Different companies can make the same plugs. You know, the, the, all the gas stations can take all the nozzles, you know, all the filler caps and every car can go to any gas station. Those are standards. Don't have a problem with that. That only makes sense. Besides the, those kind of standards, you know, like weights and measures and things like that are in the constitution anyway. So, the, so in, in, in the, in the uh, facilitation of interstate commerce, it makes sense that uh, the train gauges are the same to state, <laughs> you know, the, uh, the, the, the roads, you know, are consistently built, you know, the infrastructure is what it is. I don't have a problem with that. And, and the government does have standards. And I think uh, they all have these, uh, UA, you know, underwriters laboratories numbers. And they have different numbers or I forgot what they're called, um, S something numbers for all products. So they have a standard. So you make the plugs all the same so that they all fit. Every appliance has the same size plug to fit every electrical outlet, which is the same. There's a reason for that. It'd be stupid not to do it. You know, you don't want to have a company saying, you know, buy our plugs and, and then you have to buy our electric outlets and, you know, no, it doesn't work that way. So they make them to a standard. Don't have a problem with that. That only makes sense. I agree 100%. Okay. Um, well, let's 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 kind of tie things together. Yeah, yeah. Let's, because... let's drop this. Let's drop this because I'm about to okay. talk about Rivian cell batteries with uh, patents with uh, yeah, no, Ford, etc. Yeah, all that. No. Let's um, let's go, go back on. to some of the comments. Let's go back to the comments you made. Let's do some fun, which we've never talked about before, uh, of Hawaii becoming independent again. <laughs> I think that would be interesting. What do you think? 
Well, that's a great military outpost in the middle of the ocean. I'm not going to lie. I mean, well, make a treaty with them then. Either make it a territory, uh, or make it, uh, uh, you know, or have a trade, or have an agreement with them. I didn't say we have to stop going there. <laughs> yeah, I just said, uh, but it shouldn't be a state anymore. It should be independent. If, if, if you give sovereignty to uh-huh. Hawaii, right. One thing I want to say too, though, is it will set a precedent for other states of the union to try to secede. Why does Hawaii? Why, why, wait, 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 wait. Why is Texas that? Texas is sitting here and disagreeing Hawaii with everything. Up. And... <laughs> You're relating to things that aren't that aren't related because secession could be done by any state. They can they can go for it any time. There's a there's a secession movement in California and Oregon, Southern Oregon, Northern California. They want to form the state of Jefferson. It's been going on for 50 years. I agree with it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but Hawaii is 2,000 miles. Off our west coast, it's an island chain in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Why would we? Why would we have a state there? Why not just make it a territory, or make it independent? I mean, the British gave up Jamaica. You know, Spanish gave up Cuba. <laughs> yeah, we should give up the Philippines. I think we gave up the Philippines. But uh, why do we still hang on to Hawaii? Like I said a second ago, it's a great military outfit. Gives you well, that's fine. We, we, have a, we have a great military. Uh, we have a great military outpost in Ramstein, Germany, Aviano, Italy, Okinawa. None of those are U.S. possessions. They're all foreign countries. So the, being a foreign country is no restriction to a military base. We have them in England. We have them in uh, France. We have military bases all over the place. So that's no restriction. Okay, that's fair. You're right. <laughs> okay. So, so, but I, I think we've never talked about this. I think it's interesting. Why don't we just give uh, Hawaii back to Hawaiians? Okay, it's your country. Make it an independent nation. Back to them, Polynesian. Um, I mean, man, I, I I constantly go back to great military outposts out there. You know, we have okay, Guam, we, we, we established Island, that, but that's you know, we, we have open so dialogue, et cetera. But to be able to have such a strong military position right there, to be able to have uh, both information and naval port or um, cyber uh-huh. cyber connectivity, you know, information intelligence networks done by cyber through there because it's closer to, per se, Japan, South Korea, China. Why don't we just have one in Australia, Japan and South Korea? You know, what we really need are, are treaties. See, the thing is, we don't have to own a country, you know, to put a military base there. We could share a military base. with. Why don't we have a joint base with uh, Taiwan? Why don't we have a joint base with uh, uh, Japan somewhere? I don't know where the big Japanese bases are, but they got a pretty good military. How about South Korea? We should have a joint military base with South Korea, but not own. we don't own South Korea, nor do we own Japan, nor do we own Taiwan. So why, why do we have to own a, why do we have to have, uh, have to own a country to have a base there? We don't. You can put a base, you know, but I think we have too many bases anyway. I'd rather empower these countries to have their own military. Here's a question for you. True, I should actually Japan, like Ron should, Paul's. What's that? I actually do like Ron Paul's idea of shrinking down our military positioning for the most part mm-hmm. across the entire world. But it, but we're we're heading into a very bad wartime scenario right now. So it's, I wish Where? I wish we could have shrunk it down. You know, in 2012, when Ron Paul was running and he, he sweeped Iowa, he sweeped New Hampshire, uh-huh. everything, you know, he was running hot on that ticket. And the government just, well, the deep state 
cut him right out. You know, they they said, no, nah, it ain't going to happen with him. Um, very similar to, like, Bernie Sanders versus Hillary Clinton in 2016 in order to be able to get the Democratic nomination. You know, they mm-hmm. completely undercut him because they wanted Hillary. Right. Um, back then, I could see the viability of decreasing our military exposure. I really could. But now what's really funny is we're getting contested left and right. We're getting so contested. And it's not like I sit there and be like, yeah, America, we're an empire. We need to control everybody. No. It's the idea that these other countries, right? Russia is a federation, but it's still very old-style communist when it comes down to its political structure. China's diehard communist. You know, they'll take you behind the shed, and they will kill you. You know? Mm-hmm. I believe it was like 2000. When there was the one gentleman who was trying to compete against Vladimir Putin um, as an opposition party member, he was killed literally at the walls of the Kremlin. Mm -hmm. Nothing happened. Of course not. Yeah. You know, I mean, we had, uh, we had, we've had, we've had three, we've had three major political assassinations in this country just in the sixties, John Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, and Martin Luther King. Do you think those yeah. were, were, were private operations? No, they were government operations. Yeah. It's <laughs> an influence state. I mean, it's... You know, anybody that, that seeks... Movers and have been slayers around the Clintons, to the know. degree that you're following the rules <clears throat> that they put you at. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, we're getting off track of it here. I tell you, I want to I hold you up a little bit. I want to pick this up next time because we, we've covered a lot of ground here, which is kind of fun. Um, but... Um, the one thing I would just leave you with is to uh, never assume that the government has a monopoly on truth, that just because, you know, uh, the government says, well, we have the power, you know, we're in charge in, in a crisis. That's not true. They're actually the Constitution is, is in control in a crisis and that you can never assume that what the government says is right or that it's going to make the situation better, especially when they're doing an operation with a private company, which is called fascism. So the problem with COVID was fascism. The cure was freedom. And as long as you keep that in mind, when the next one comes around, you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, you can't do that. Freedom runs. Freedom rules. Freedom is what uh, will get us through the crisis. No matter how bad, the worst pandemic, the worst nuclear war, the Constitution is always fully in force, cannot be uh, restricted, denied, suspended. You know, there is no such thing as a compelling state interest. I don't care what the Supreme Court says. There is no such thing as reasonable restrictions on rights. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, that's simply not true. Freedom works and was proved by COVID because COVID was a disaster and still is because freedom was not in charge. The Constitution was not in charge. So final thought on that. Let me let you go and I'll play some stuff and I'll come back with uh, censorship. <laughs> you know, testimony of Mark Schellenberger before Congress. You know, I said nature finds a way. Nature's free. Mm-hmm. There's no mm-hmm. real governance in nature. It's simply a sway back and forth. It's like waves. You know, it's, it's just going to come and because it's free. Mm-hmm. So when you try to control nature, nature will surprise you and it will beat you out. You know, it will adapt around you. And it's a perfect example of what you just said. You know, freedom is the natural way to overcome a situation by mm-hmm. adaptation. You know? Yeah, I agree. Anyway, okay. it's been a pleasure, bud. Yeah, um, good to talk to you. Call back more often. Year round. <laughs> yeah, yeah, time. for sure. You take care. Let me play some, okay, it's 8.44 here at Central Time, and I'm going to play some stuff. I'll come back with further testimony uh, from Mark Schellenberger before Congress on the weaponization of government. We'll get into the DARPA section of his testimony back in a little bit. 
Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't, which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Grave Care, and now as an affiliate of Grave Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grave Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gravecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gravecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Gravecare, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. 
every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. Okay, I'm back. It's 8.49. We've got about uh, an hour and 11 minutes, I guess, uh, for this show. So I've got time. I've got people, if you want to uh, call in live chat, uh, type in a live chat anywhere in the world. Uh, Cyanide 77 is there. <clears throat> Calman was there for a long time. He had a bunch of comments. I think we covered most of what he uh, typed into live chat uh, over the course of, of our phone call. Uh, that was fun. That was a good time. But uh, none of my folks that were supposed to be here at um, – 8 o'clock, uh, I guess something came out. They couldn't check in. Uh, CJ, I knew it was going to be off at 9 o'clock, so it's basically three hours of me, <laughs> which is kind of weird, but that's okay. Uh, at least that folks calling in. And uh, like I say, Cyanide77 is there uh, in the Netherlands on live chat, too. So anybody wants to call in, feel free, 215-383-3832. Let's get into news mode with uh, more reports for you. So anyway, um, I have a problem when I do an article that I really can't see live chat, and uh, if I if I block if I move the the live chat over, then I can't see the phone number. <laughs> so either way, uh, it gets kind of screwed up. So I kind of have to uh, uh, live chat. Where, you know, feel free to type a message. I will check it periodically, but uh, it's a little tougher to do. But the phone calls, I want to make sure I grab those because I don't want people sitting on hold uh, longer than necessary. All right. So last week. There was a hearing before Washington, the, the weaponization of the federal government, uh, and there were two people who testified, uh, Matt Talibi, I think is his name, and Mark Schellenberger. And they're both fairly liberal journalists, longtime you know, journalists, professional journalists, contrary to what the Democrats think. And Mark Schellenberger presented testimony before Congress. He had a big statement. And it's so big. I've been going over, this is my third day, um, going over bits and pieces of it. So uh, he talked about, the, it's, it's, it's titled The Censorship Industrial Complex. That's the title of his statement before Congress. And I've covered a bunch of stuff Monday and Tuesday. Uh, I think some Wednesday. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not, maybe not Tuesday, but yesterday I did. And today I want to do another section of it. And so you can find it. Uh, Schellenberger testimony, March 9th of 2022, uh, before Congress. Easy to find. Uh, in fact, let me, uh, I'm on page nine. So let me scroll back up at the top and I'll give you the exact title here. The Censorship Industrial Complex, U.S. Government Support for Domestic Censorship and Disinformation Campaigns, 2016 to 2022. Testimony by Michael Schellenberger, excuse me, Michael Schellenberger to the House Select Committee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government, March 9, 2023. Now you can find it. Okay, back to nine, page nine, page nine, page nine, seven, eight, nine. Here we go. So DARPA. Let's talk about this now. Here's what he said. The Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, roots. The censorship industrial complex today is using tools that the DOD, that's Department of Defense, originally developed to fight terrorists. But that's what they think of us, right? So it makes sense. For example, he says DARPA 2011 created the Social Media in Strategic Communications, SMISC, program to help identify misinformation or deception campaigns and counter them with truthful information. We've already talked about what misinformation and disinformation is. In the classic sense, it's giving uh, bad information to an enemy so you can defeat him in war. 
That's real disinformation. What these folks are talking about is anything that goes against their propaganda uh, or their narrative or what they want you to believe. They call it disinformation because what, what they're calling you know, truth is actually lies and propaganda and the actual disinformation. It's like projection. You know, if you're a criminal, you, you say everybody else you meet is a criminal, but you're the only one who really is. Same thing here. This is projection. They're projecting on everybody else what they are doing, which is misinformation. All right. It says DARPA has said the goals were, one, detect misinformation. Two, recognize persuasion campaign structures and influence operations across social media sites and communities. In other words, put their propaganda in. Right? Number three, identify participants and intent and measure effects of persuasion campaigns. Four, counter messaging of detected adversary influence operations. The four goals of Course Correct, a project funded by NSF, that's the National Science Foundation, targets U.S. citizens today in a nearly identical way. One, detect misinformation. Two, continue developing A slash B tested correction strategies against misinformation. I'm not sure what A, B tested is. Uh, I guess that's Alpha Bravo. Um, or what's, what's it's a beta, alpha beta maybe. <laughs> and number three, evaluate the effectiveness of evidence-based corrections by conducting small randomized control trials. And four, ongoing collaborations with journalists, fascism, as well as tech developers and software engineers. Hmm, more fascism. <laughs> okay, that's me adding the extras. I try and change my voice so you know when I'm talking as opposed to the testimony. Testimony says key organizations. He says CISA. And we know who these folks were. That was Krebs, the guy that said we had the, 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 the safest and best election in history, right? Big lie. CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, an agency within the Department of Homeland Security, DHS, on January 6, 2017, outgoing Obama administration secretary Jay Johnson, that's J-A-H, uh, designated election infrastructure as critical infrastructure, opening up CISA's or, or CISA? I think it's called CISA. CISA's mission to censoring alleged disinformation, right? Congress created CISA in November 2018 to defend the U.S. from cybersecurity threats from hostile foreign actors, in other words, Russian hackers. But who were the hostile foreign actors? <laughs> the Democrats and the Republicans. Anyway, it says Digital Forensics Research, DFR, lab in Atlantic, uh, at the Atlantic Council. The lab is one of the most established and influential full-time censorship institutions in the world, and yet I've never heard of them, right? Atlantic Council DFR Lab created the Foreign Facing Disinfo Portal. <laughs> That's actually a word, Disinfo Portal, in June 2018, working directly with the National Endowment for Democracy, NED, sounds like a communist group, and 23 organizations to censor election narratives leading up to the 2019 elections in Europe. That's what we call practice, <laughs> okay, for 2020. It says, in 2018, Facebook named Atlantic Council an official partner in countering disinformation worldwide. U.S. taxpayer funding to the Atlantic Council comes from the Defense Department, the U.S. Marines, the U.S. Air Force, the U.S. Navy, the State Department, USAID, that's the U.S. Uh, what is that? Uh, something, information, something? Anyway, the National Endowment for Democracy, I told you they're communists, as well as energy companies and weapons manufacturers. In other words, the military-industrial complex. Now it's the military-industrial censorship complex. <laughs> or the military-censorship-industrial complex. Either way, uh, those are all like the, the, the worst players out there. This is, this is a bad group. Anyway, it says uh, Graphica. Here's another one. So that was digital forensics research. Graphica. G-R-A-P-H-I-K-A. Hmm, interesting. 
a private network analysis firm. Graphica published a report for the Senate Intelligence Committee in December 2018, which claimed to have uncovered, quote, in unusually rich detail, the scope of Russia's interference, not only in the 2016 presidential election, but also in our day-to-day democratic dialogue. Graphica, this is, this is all pure propaganda, right? Graphica hired as its director of investigations, Ben Nimo, N-I-M-M-O, or Nimo, <laughs> away from the DFR lab. The Defense Department's Minerva Institute, what's Minerva? That's just one of the Greek gods, right? Anyway, uh, and Minerva Institute, I have to look at it. It's very, let's look it up right now because you know that's symbolic. Uh, Minerva, Minerva, Minerva. It's probably, uh, isn't it? it's not, that's Godiva Road, Naked the Horse. Who's Minerva? M-E-R-V-A, Minerva, the goddess of handicrafts, widely worshipped and regularly identified with the Greek goddess Athena, which led to her being regarded also as the goddess of war. Oh, well, isn't that interesting? (laughs) Fascinating. I told you, symbolism, it's always there, right? So Minerva Institute. Here we go. The Defense Department's Minerva Institute. In other words, the, 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 the God of War Institute of the Defense Department. <laughs> Why do I find that funny? Uh, and said, which focuses on psychological warfare. Oh, there we go. And DARPA. Both gave grants to Graphica. Uh, DARPA and, oh, interesting. In 2021, the Pentagon awarded nearly $5 million in grants and nearly $2 million in contracts to the organization. Last fall, Graphica alleged their, that cartoons on a fringe website were suspected Russian actors. It's probably my friend Bryn, Ben Garrison, what do you bet, uh, that were engaged in a renewed effort to interfere in the 2022 midterm elections. New York Times picked up on the story. Moonshot CVE is another one. is a private firm to redirect right-wing people online away from radicalism, but was found to have pushed right-wing people toward an anarchist leader. Well, of course, that's the ultra, that's the ultra-right is anarchism. The ultra-left is totalitarianism. So just so people understand, on the left, you've got you know, fascism, communism, socialism, uh, all those kind of things, you know, further to the right of that, but not that much democracy. Uh, and then you've got the, the, of course, the best is a republic, which is like to the right of center. Uh, centrists are in the middle. Uh, and so, so you've got uh, Republicans are much like Democrats, so they're way out there on the left. And anarchists are way on the right. Uh, but the, the, the groups, the, you know, the anarchist groups, you know, uh, BLM, uh, Antifa, KKK, you know, any of the disruptive groups, Aryan nation, <laughs> the, they're, they're anarchists, so they're on the far right, but they're certainly not conservative. They're much closer to the totalitarian left, because if you imagine the political spectrum bends around backwards, it actually forms a circle. So there's, there's, there's a very fine line between the anarchist right and the totalitarian left. They, they pretty much join together. The centrists on the complete other side, 180 degrees away in the circle, uh, and as I did a chart on, on liberty, which you can find at... Um, my site, uh, gregpenglis.substack.com. Uh, you can check that out there. Anyway, but so we, we sort of graph liberty. So if you look at if it's a straight line, if uh, totalitarians on the left and anarchists are on the right, centrists are in the middle, um, Republicans and Democrats would be somewhere between centrists and, and the totalitarian left. Our founders would be somewhere between centrists and the anarchist right. And once you have that in mind, then the rest of it makes sense. So totalitarians, fascist, communist, socialist, you know, Nazis are all on the left. Once you understand that, you understand all the lies that have been told to you the last several years. Back to Moonshot. <laughs> Moonshot CVE is a private firm to redirect right-wing people. Okay, I already said that. Who is vetting the vetters? Good question. This is they send people who were already looking for violence to a convicted felon with anarchist and anti-Semitic views. This representative Morgan Griffin of Virginia said to Google CEO, who is vetting the vetters? 
Isn't that interesting? Uh, we continue to need more transparency and accountability. Moonshot includes Elizabeth Newman, former DHS Assistant Secretary for Counterterrorism. Well, that's interesting. So this, shot, this, this company, private firm Moonshot CVE, which tried to direct right-wing people, who they think are conservatives, but they're really anarchists, away from radicalism. Well, you can't direct anarchists away from radicalism. This is radical as you get, just like totalitarians. Fascinating. Anyway, here's another one. FITF, Foreign Influence Task Force, a cyber regulatory agency, conspired, comprised of members of the FBI, GHS, and ODN. Who's ODN? Getting these new acronyms. I'm, I'm weird. Here's another one. GEC, Global Engagement Center, an analytical division of the U.S. State Department, which systematically launders domestic censorship by working through counter-disinformation NGOs and foreign films. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> I have no idea. Foreign Influence Task Force, a cyber regulatory agency comprised of the FBI, DHS, and ODN, Global Engagement Center, an analytical division of the U.S. State Department, which systematically launders domestic censorship. How do you do that? Working through counter-disinformation? So you've got disinformation, then you have counter-disinformation? Is that dis-disinformation? <laughs> NGOs and foreign films. So, the, so, so this Global Engagement Center works with foreign films to do what? Here's another one, Hamilton 68, a dashboard created with U.S. government funding and the support of New Knowledge, here's another group, claiming to reveal Russian bots on Twitter, but was mocked by Twitter staff because all or almost all belong to American citizens. Gee, how about that? <laughs> Could be operatives of the government. You know, here's another one, uh, HSIN, Homeland Security Information Network, a portal through which states and other bodies um, can, uh, can send flagged accounts. Probably mine, right? EIP, Election Integrity Project, uh-oh, <laughs> the partnership between four government-funded censorship organizations. Oh, here we go. Government-funded censorship organizations. Stanford Internet Observatory, Graphica, University of Washington Disinformation Lab, and the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Lab, uh, EIP, uh, it was EIP. I guess that's a different one. Uh, EIP has served as CISA or CISA's deputized domestic disinformation flagger. Uh, EIP, that's the Election Integrity Project. So the Election Integrity Project, which is from four government organizations, serves as another government organization's uh, disinformation flagger. But they get their money because they do what the government wants them to do. Here's another one. I can't believe how many there are of these. How many, how many are going to do? This is very soft. <laughs> This is a big story. I don't know how much more I'll read this because I know it's really dry for you just listening to me read stuff. But that should give you an idea of just how bad this is. It goes on. I'm going to read the whole thing. Uh, it's going to take a while. <laughs> I'm read the whole thing to myself, not to you. Uh, I think I've, I've done plenty here. Oh, yeah, I'm only about a quarter of the way through. <laughs> this is going to be a long, uh, a long thing. And all this testimony went to Congress. And what have they done with it? Nothing. What is the news media reporter on this? Nothing. So let me play something a little different for my selection of uh, Santa Rosa Volunteers pieces. And the reason I have these, I made these when uh, Santa Rosa Volunteers was sponsoring the show. They, they don't do that anymore, but I still have all the reports. And uh, since I made them for them, uh, I don't have any problem playing them. I think I played the Sedition Act last time. This time I think I will do uh, Church and State. So there's always a big myth about what Church and State really is. Uh, people get that all confused. Let me play this one for you. It'll take about seven minutes. Uh, and then I'll come back with more news. And anybody wants to call, feel free. Anybody wants to jump on live chat. Uh, oh, here we got Cyanide77 is back. Uh, finding Nemo? <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. 
But uh, before my voice gives completely out, let me take another break here and uh, play you the, uh, the church and state, the confusion over church and state. Once you hear this, you'll understand that what you hear about church and state is simply not true. So this is a piece I made for Santa Rosa volunteers back when they were supporting uh, Action Radio. But um, I made it for them, so I feel like I can play it again. So I will. Back in a little bit. This is Greg Penglis for Action Radio with Founding Moments, insights into our founding documents, sponsored by Santa Rosa Volunteers here in Santa Rosa County, Florida. Santa Rosa Volunteers is available at their website, srv1776.com. That's srv1776.com. There is no separation of church and state in the Constitution. Therefore, the Supreme Court can't imagine that it really is there, or should be there, so they can't create the rule out of thin air and then enforce it as if it actually did exist. The biggest problem with the controversy between Thomas Jefferson, then president, and the Danbury, Connecticut Baptists, a religious minority, is that everyone focuses on the answer by Thomas Jefferson saying there is a wall of separation between church and state, but they never consider the request made by the Danbury Baptist that Jefferson sought to answer and therefore where the wall of separation actually is. If you only have the answer, then you can make the question anything you want, including making the question fit the answer to advance an agenda or denying that there even is a question. The question now is whether the government is free from any of the moral constraints or persuasiveness of religion such that religion and government are walled off in isolation from each other so that government can contemplate and implement any power for themselves without any organized religious participation, debate, opinion, objection, or protest. That is a complete bastardization of the exchange between Jefferson and the Baptists and has been used to advance a bogus set of laws and court opinions. The background for this controversy comes from the article mentioned below, which says, The First Amendment was meant as a limit on the National Congress only. Madison wanted limits on the states too, but they were rejected. State limitations on religious liberty and establishment persisted after the First Amendment was adopted. Religious tests for office remained in place in most states, and Connecticut, 1818, and Massachusetts, in 1833, did not disestablish their official state churches until decades later. The Supreme Court reinforced the idea that the Bill of Rights did not apply to the states, but rather only to the national government in Barron v. Baltimore in 1833. Back to me. Where this becomes especially critical is when the states, not the state as in government in general, but the individual states, established their own religion and churches because they were not subject yet to the First Amendment. It is in that context that Jefferson is responding to the Danbury Baptists. The key part of the Danbury Baptist letter to Jefferson is this clause. What religious privileges we enjoy as a minor part of the state, we enjoy as favors granted and not as inalienable rights. And these favors we receive at the expense of such degrading acknowledgments as are inconsistent with the rights of free men. 
The Danbury Baptists, being a religious minority in a larger group of Congregationalists, which was the state religion of Connecticut, were being discriminated against for not being part of the state religion. And because the First Amendment only referred to Congress making no law regarding the establishment of a government religion, but left the states free to do so, we had religious freedom at the federal level, but privilege and discrimination at the state level. That is why the Danbury Baptists wrote Jefferson. Now Jefferson resp- Jefferson's response makes sense. He says to the Baptists, Believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions, I contemplate with sovereign reverence that act of the whole American people which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. Put in modern English, the individual relationship between man and God is direct, and the wall of separation is so that the government never crosses that wall between individuals, their churches, and God with state religions, state churches, religious laws and tests, religious qualifications for office, etc., etc. However, there is nothing in law or the Constitution preventing churches, religions, and religious individuals like pastors, priests, ministers, etc., and just regular folks too, from exercising moral persuasion, evaluation, and criticism over government because the free exercise of religion also includes the redress of government for grievances. The wall of separation of which Jefferson spoke only works one way. To understand Jefferson and the Baptists, it's not the wall of separation between church and state, it's the wall of separation between the free exercise of religion and any state established religion. That's it. Everything else is agenda-driven narrative. The source for the Federalist Papers is federalistpapers.org. The Anti-Federalist Papers are from selfeducatedamerican.com. The Articles of Confederation are from usconstitution.net. This episode also used Thomas Jefferson's misunderstood letter to the Danbury Baptist from the Washington, Jefferson, and Madison Institute website. This is Greg Penglis for Action Radio with Founding Moments, sponsored by Santa Rosa Volunteers. Their website is srv1776.com. That's srv1776.com. Please share this report to anyone who needs it. This is Greg Penglis for Strikeforce, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, WYL, to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, 
and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of MyPillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. MyPillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Radio, dedicated to fixing everything. I got this really cool gel pen. <laughs> my, my pen ran out during the, the, the previous thing. I was writing down the break and stuff and the information so I can uh, do the notes afterwards. But uh, this is great. Let me see if I can get a brand name here. So I endorse it. Wexford. 
<laughs> go Wexford. So I can do pen. <laughs> I can write faster, which means I can get more stuff down as I'm uh, trying to talk and write at the same time. Okay. Um, I got 43 minutes left of time to, to expound upon various knowledge and things like that. Um, I've got a problem and I need help. I don't know how to resolve this. Here's the problem. I'm reading dozens of COVID articles every week. Um, They're good. They're insightful. They've got uh, statistics and they've got graphs. Um, They've got, they've outlined all the problems with the jab, you know, the amount of people that are dying, where they're dying, what they're dying of, when, you know, it's just, there's, there's so much information. But my problem is that we all know the problem. Either you know the problem and, and you're trying to hide it because you're making money off it, or you know the problem, um, you know, and you, you don't you don't know what to do about it. Uh, but whatever, or you're writing about it. <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of people writing about the problem, but there's, there's no there's no what I call agent of change. There's nothing to latch onto for people to say we can do this and stop this. That's not existing right now. So I've tried contacting some of the folks that write all the articles that they write, and I, I know a few of the people. I'm not going to mention exactly who, um, but uh, there's some big article writers on Substack, on, on different uh, uh, websites and things like that. I'm like, hey, you can write articles from here until eternity and nothing's going to happen. I said, the only agent of change that I know of out there uh, are our bills. I mean, we're it, which is kind of sad, but it's true. <laughs> That's just the way it is, that the only vaccine product liability bill that I know of in existence is the one we wrote here at Action Radio. The only bill to get rid of big tech censorship I know of well, actually, there's a few others, but the best one is the one that's written here at Action Radio. The second best one, uh, I think, is Bob Massey has one, or maybe, the, or, or is it uh, Cohen, Conan, some of there's another member of Congress who wrote a Section 230 bill. Basically, they just delete uh, the part of Section 230 that says that big tech can remove anything from the Internet they find objectionable. Okay, that's good, but you haven't really, but you haven't solved the problem. You know, because they're still going to remove stuff and you still have to prove that, uh, you know, that what they did that was OK. Uh, that's that's an, that's a start. So you take away their authorization for removing stuff. But I don't think that's anywhere near as strong as our bill, uh, which uh, maintains the the, uh, the liability immunity, which their bill does, too. Uh, their bill maintains liability immunity, you know, for anything that anybody posts, anybody's account, any uh, anything done with search engines. OK, that's that's the big tech shouldn't be liable for that because all they're doing is providing the service. But because they're only providing the service, they should not have the ability to remove things from the Internet. That's not their job. That's law enforcement's job. Uh, that's, that's the job of duly sworn officers who are agents of the state or the federal or the local governments. Those are the ones that should do it, nobody else. So big tech should not be in the business of removing stuff and canceling accounts. That's discrimination. That's segregation. That's like saying we approve these things, we don't approve those things. You can't do that. Not when you're open to the public. It's called public accommodation. Now, I've explained all this before. This is nothing new. What I haven't explained before, what I have puzzled is why when so obvious a solution to vaccine product liability is our bill that changes a couple of words uh, from vaccine manufacturers shall not be liable to vaccine manufacturers shall be fully liable, which is a complete reversal of of their of their liability from none to everything. (laughs) You know, um, why is that so hard to understand? Why is that so hard for journalists to write about it? Why is it so hard for news organizations to report on it? I mean, they've all seen it. I know they have. All the conservative folks, One American News, Newsmax, you know, even some Fox News folks, uh, all kinds of websites, Substack authors, website people, um, reporters, uh, everywhere. Activists, they've all seen the bill. They all know the bill. 
and yet nobody's taking any action on it. And I don't understand this. Big Tech, same thing. Big Tech Bill says, Big Tech, you touch anything anybody posts, you touch anybody's account, you touch uh, any arrangement, you try and arrange the search engine results other than the raw number of hits, that liability immunity is gone, revoked, and you can have your asses sued. Same thing with Big Tech, with, with vaccine, with Big Pharma. Big Pharma is fully liable for everything they put in their vaccines. It's on them. <laughs> okay. What, what is so hard to understand about this? Why is this so difficult? Why is it that nobody wants to write about it, talk about it, nobody in Congress wants to propose it? Well, I know why Congress doesn't, because they won't get their big pharma money. But how about the journalists out there? I don't understand. If somebody has an answer for me, give me a call, 215-383-3832. And, and even the people, I send out press releases, I send all this stuff. Is it that people just don't believe it'll work? Is it that people are waiting to see it work? Is it that people have no faith that... Uh, um, this is a good idea, or maybe they just don't care about vaccine product liability. Maybe they think that that's not the answer, or that's a, the, the, maybe it just doesn't mean anything to them. To me, it means everything. Same thing with big tech liability. Maybe they just think, oh, it's too late. No, the government wins. We lose. It's all gone. Oh, I must just go lay down and die. Is that where people are? So for whatever reason, and I cannot understand this for a second, nobody's picked up on our bills. Seriously. Well, the one person is Emerald Robinson, who had me on, uh, and we talked about vaccine product liability, but uh, we haven't followed up yet. Haven't followed up with the other bills. And I've been on the TNT network a few times, and I've been on some other shows. But they didn't follow up. A lot of these people wanted to be bill writers, and then they didn't do it. Something's missing. There's like a, there's a missing gap. There's a missing something that would allow us to do what we do best. And it's not happening. So I'm going to keep trying. I'll see if I can find the answer here. But uh, it's not forthcoming. It's just not... So share the bills, share the shows, be the pioneers, and hopefully I'll find that, that one. Well, well, let's see maybe Brandon Straka or Brandon Strack from uh, uh, hashtag walkaway. I'll be on walkaway social. I've already got an account there. I just have to do some stuff today to get it going as well as do a bunch of other stuff. But it's going to happen. You know, we'll have an account there, and then hopefully you'll all pick up on it. I'll get uh, half a million followers, and then I'll be big. <laughs> we'll see. All right, let me give you some news now at uh, 923. I'm going to start writing down these things, 923, with my new gel pen, 923. News. It's fun to write with. It's so smooth. Love gel pens. This is from The Defender, which is Children's Health Defense, which is Robert Francis Kennedy Jr.'s organization. And he says, top scientists find substantial scientific evidence RF radiation causes cancer. Uh, That's your cell phone, folks. Okay. Here's one of the great underreported stories of the decade. It says, this is by Susan Burdick, PhD, B-U-R-D-I-C-K, Suzanne, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E. Suzanne Burdick, PhD, says, based on results of their landmark review and latest science, four of the world's top experts in environmental health called for prevention and precaution when it comes to public exposure to radio frequency radiation. See, there's a reason when I talk on my cell phone, I put it on a stack of books and use the speaker when I have to do the show that way. There's a reason I never ever put my cell phone up to my head unless, except for the most dire circumstances. Um, why I, uh, you know, maybe not me speaking as loudly as I could, you know, but uh, that's why I don't put it up to my head. Why? Cause it causes cancer. <laughs> so I'm not going to do it. The article says for the world's top experts in environmental health are calling for, oh, I read that. The scientists, including former director of the U S national toxicology program, NTP, Last month, published a preprint review of the most recent studies on the effects of electromagnetic radiation, that would be EMR, and RF radiation 
uh, on different life forms and humans. <laughs> I guess we're a different life form too, right? Uh, and the epidemiological evidence for cancer due to RF radiation from cell phone use. The authors concluded there is substantial scientific evidence that RF radiation causes cancer, endocrinological, neurological, and other adverse effects. Endocrinological. There we go. Okay, so this is your endocrine system, which is your hormones. (laughs) I think that's what it is. Uh, Anyway, neurological and other adverse health effects. And that the U.S. Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, has failed to protect public health. Well, Where's the Consumer Product Safety Commission? Where's the FDA? <laughs> I guess it's not a food and drug, but uh, it is. It, it comes from a product. So uh, how about the FTC, Federal Trade Commission? All these organizations should be taking care of this, but they're not because they don't care. It's too much money in cell phones, right? It says they accused the FCC of ignoring the precautionary principle commonly used in toxicology and also the Bradford Hills criteria. Bradford Hills! A set of principles commonly used in epidemiology for establishing a causal relationship and evaluating the risks of RF radiation. Well, let's see if we can make sense of that gobbledygook. This article is a clarion call for prevention and precaution, says Devra Davis, PhD, MPH. Well, she's got a lot of letters. You know, a toxicologist and epidemiologist who co-authored the paper. She says, we know enough now to take steps to reduce exposure to this. It's time, said Davis, who also is founder and president of Environmental Health Trust and founding director of the Center for Environmental Oncology, that would be cancer, and the University of Pittsburgh Cancer Institute. The paper's authors are Paul Ben Ishai, PhD, a physicist at Ariel University in Israel, Hugh Taylor, MD, a professor in the Department of Chair of Obstetrics Gynecology, that's baby folks, and reproductive services at Yale School of Medicine, <laughs> Linda Birnbaum, PhD, a toxicologist and former director of the National Institutes of Health, National Institute of Environmental Health. I think she was on the program. Linda Birnbaum, that name sounds familiar. I could be wrong. It happens. I have a lot of people in the program. Birnbaum and Taylor are members of the U.S. National Academy of Medicine, the nation's premier association of distinguished researchers. Davis was, founder, was founding director of the board. Okay, let's, go, let's, let's see what they found here. This is boring. Cumulatively, the four authors have published more than 1,600 peer-reviewed articles. 1,600 articles. No, I'm not going to go through them. <laughs> Davis told the Defender there is a plethora of experimental and epidemiological evidence that establishes a causal relationship. In other words, it causes it, right? Between EMRRF and cancer, that would be electromagnetic radiation, uh, radiation frequency? What's RF? I don't know what it is. Anyway, it says, studies also have shown that EMRRF can cause DNA damage and can adversely affect the fetal development and the endocrine system. Well, that's interesting. EMRRH functions like a classic endocrine disruptor by impairing both male and female rep- reproductive functions. What does this sound like to you? Does this sound like COVID? Does this, uh, they're always going after reproductive health. They always, uh, you know, whatever system they're going after, this is like yet another way to reduce the population. This is, they pointed out that senior advisors to the World Health Organization, including Dr. Lennart Hardell, have said that if RF radiation were evaluated based on more current studies, it would likely be upgraded to a probable, if not confirmed, human carcinogen. Oh, that's interesting. RF radiation, radiation is, well, radiation, solar radiation is a carcinogen. Why would radio frequency, are, uh, that's what RF stands for, not be a carcinogen too? Davis said the paper is a landmark article, but the landmark is built on the shoulders of a number of others, she added. Many researchers, including James Lynn, Louis Schlesen, Joel Moskowitz, yada, 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 have worked relentlessly on the issue of RF radiation. You know, I think I'm going to close the show down early. I'm tired of talking. <laughs> it's hard to do. 
But you get the idea. According to the, I'll read you a couple more, and then I think I'll uh, shut it all down here. According to the authors, the public discourse around RF radiation has been distorted by some fundamentally flawed yet widely publicized reports written by industry-affiliated scientists purporting to show no health risk. The paper evolved from the author's discussions of several peer-reviewed papers that provided biased analysis, most notably the 2021 review by David Robert Grimes, PhD, published in JAMA. That would be the Journal of American Medicine. It is imperative to insist on a complete picture of the evidence and not the whitewashed or distorted version currently promoted. See if I can find you a good quote here, and then I think I might just end it up for today. Independent research where's the good stuff here? Um, no, I guess it's about it. Last sentence. Davis said scientists and the public realized that studies suggesting tobacco was safe were manufactured by the tobacco industry. And the same thing is happening now with RF radiation and the telecom industry. So I guess they're making their own studies. Well, we think it's safe. Big tobacco. I got to do, do a thing on big tobacco. I got to kind of expose them. Big. Let me write this down here with my beautiful gel pen. Tobacco. Because I think I can learn something. I need to get Aaron Brockovich on the show, too. But I need to learn something from these things, these campaigns. How did they do what they did? How did they uh, uh, get Big Tobacco, which was a, a product that, that kills people when used as intended? <laughs> okay, it's not a good thing. Um, how, did, how were they able to, uh, to change everything using big, you know, doing uh, with the losses of Big Tobacco? That's what I need to find out. Because we need those same things uh, with Big Pharma, but we have to get their liability back. So, again, I ask one more time. Anybody wants to uh, email Greg at writeyourlaws.com, uh, go onto my Facebook pages, any of them. I've got a bunch of groups. Uh, and, and let me know how we get past the attitude that the people just don't want to write about the bills. They don't want to send the bills to Congress. They just, it's just not in their wheelhouse yet of something that they think is going to work. And I don't understand why. They won't work until a bunch of people send them in. So if you're waiting for success, you'll never see the success until you become part of the success. And the way you do that is to send in the bills to Congress, state legislators, and local governments. Until then, nothing's going to happen. I'll just be talking, which I can do, but I want action. That's what the show is all about. So I've played everything. I've done everything. I've had fun. I'll just give a little musical, musical selection on the way out. This being Thursday, we get uh, – let me see if I can find where, where it is. I have, I have programs for every day. <laughs> it's kind of fun, actually. Where's my musical selection thing? I should be right there. Uh, that's okay. I know which one it is. Oh, that's interesting. That's the wrong one. See, I got the wrong thing up. That's right. Let's get rid of that. Don't need that. Where's my Where's my show site? Uh, I'll save my article for another day. Nah, I'll figure it out. <laughs> I know what it is anyway. All right. So anyway, it's been great. It's been fun. It's been too much talking by me. I don't like to do three hours by myself. Fortunately, I had uh, Calman calling, or I might have uh, ended the show a lot sooner. But uh, take care. Enjoy. Our websites, uh, the one you're on now, blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. A legislative website, writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E. Um, our fundraising, givesendgo.com slash action radio. And a place where I'm going to put an article right away, my, my DeSantis dictator article, is gregpengelis.substack.com. So you can check everything there. And I'll be back tomorrow, 7 o'clock. We've got uh, some folks from self-defense. Uh, we've got Derek Park with finances. Uh, after that, I have no idea. <laughs> You know, so, but uh, hopefully Pianchi will be on the last hour. We'll tie up the week and decide what's going on. Cowgirl Candace is off this week. She'll be back next week. Um, busy spring break horse riding thing. So uh, we'll talk about that. But let me just pull up my musical selection for today. Oh, actually, no, wait a minute. I think I, uh, uh, no, I know which one it is. <laughs> I had the wrong one. 
musical selection for today. Musical selection. Back, back, back. Uh, where is it? Uh, no, it's not there. It should be there somewhere. Ah, here it is. Found it. All right. <clears throat> My voice is going. <laughs> you try talking for three hours. It's not easy. Uh, even with the breaks I took, it's still not easy. All right. Have a great day. See you tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Central Time with another edition of Action Radio.